What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to I Came With Fire podcast. Uh, we are here with Leslie and Stephen Shaw, who are the authors of Who They Are and What They're Up To. They were kind enough to send me, I'm holding up so you guys can see it a little better here, but uh, kind enough to send me their book a while back and I read it. Um, as you guys know, we have a deep interest in all things paranormal and strange uh, to include um, unidentified aerial phenomenon, aliens, Bigfoot, ghosts, all of that stuff. So uh, very excited to have Leslie and Steven on here tonight to talk about it. And as you guys can see, Chris is still here. What's up, Chris? How you Heck doing, yeah. man? Thanks for having <laughs> me back. Heck yeah. Hello. And uh, so Leslie, Steven, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Give us a little brief overview. Um, I'm a, I've been a journalist for the last 20 years working for the High Desert Star newspaper. And mm. so I am the writer in the family and um, did most of the writing. But Stephen wrote his family's history uh, mm. in his part of the book. And also, um, he was my fellow theorist and researcher. Um, frequently, I would send him down rabbit holes to find out information that we needed. And <laughs> he would spend Fair days enough. digging it up for us. Yeah. Um, and also, Stephen has a more science education than I do. So the parts mm. of the book that required knowledge of, the, of medicine and the brain and uh, mm -hmm. physiognomy, I needed his help a great deal with that part. So that's why we're co-authors. And uh, yeah. we are both UFO witnesses. And mm -hmm. Stephen's family, uh, we believe going back several generations, have been victims of the abduction phenomenon, we believe. Uh, certainly it was the case with Stephen's family, immediate mm -hmm. family. Yes. And uh, Mention that you're, you've been an artist your whole life. Too, yeah, I'm I've also a, an artist, and Stephen is a very accomplished musician. He was a... a he was awesome. an acupuncturist. He's a retired acupuncturist now mm -hmm. and Tai Chi teacher for mm -hmm. many, many years and um, um, is now an or orchestral musician with uh, the Joshua uh, Philharmonic, Joshua oh, Philharmonic okay. Orchestra. What do you play, Stephen? I play primarily the accordion. I'm the accordionist for the Philharmonic. But I, That's I, cool. I, play, I play piano. Uh, I'm working on quite a number of pieces on the piano. And I used to play a lot of woodwinds, uh, a lot of uh, clarinet and sax and then uh, guitar like really uh, good musicians he can dabble with many different ones, i can you know? i can i can i can hold my own pretty much with whatever so what are but, whatever a musician version of a polyglot is right yes a polyglot yes uh -huh, yeah. yeah i'm a master awesome. of some but not of all <laughs> exactly jack of all trades master of none i actually am a master of the accordion yeah so. that's that's his I main his main instrument yeah, cool. yeah. that's pretty and, cool uh, we we are both UFO witnesses. I, mm -hmm. Stephen saw three before I saw my first. And uh, we saw my first and second and his fourth and fifth while together. Okay. And um, it was actually, you know, I, I'm a dutiful wife. And I believed my husband when he was telling me about his incidents. But, you know, when you don't see it yourself, you can only believe about 98%, maybe 95%. Right. And sure. then that day came when I saw my first UFO and then, okay, now I'm a hundred percent believer. And finally right. seeing is truly believing. Um, that one was, we were heading West on uh, highway 62, uh, which is in 
from Joshua Tree to Yucca Valley. We lived in Yucca Valley mm-hmm. at the time. And it was at night and coming back from a meeting. And I looked up in the sky. And ahead of me, I was driving. Ahead of me was this big, bright white light up in the sky. And it got brighter and brighter. And at first, I thought, could it be a plane coming into Palm Springs Airport uh, or something? But there were no running lights or, you know, those additional flashing lights. Just Blinking. one big white ball in the sky. Yeah. And we watched it just kind of hover there. And we were heading towards it. So it seemed to slowly get larger and larger. But then it took off north and over the northern horizon and gone in about a quarter of a second. I would have estimated it traveling at 20,000 miles an hour, maybe. And it took off at speed, not slowly ramping up to Mm -hmm. 20,000, but just bam, at 20,000 miles an hour. No acceleration uh, like that, gradually. (laughs) And silent. It was silent. There was no sound. And... um, it streaked out into a long line. It moved so fast. And then the line mm-hmm. collapsed in on itself. And, right. uh, you know, the, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And there's no way that we have anything that can move that fast. Or, I mean, it would have crushed any pilot or even mm-hmm. instruments against the walls taking off at that speed, that with that inertia. It went, it went in the direction of the 29 Palms of Naval Marine Base. There, yeah. So. We have a ley line that goes through Joshua Well, the Marines Tree, are weird. It so. seemed like it was... Uh, it goes through the Integratron. Have you ever heard of the Integratron, the machine that was built by uh, Van, Tassel. Van Tassel out in the desert of this area? It's mm-hmm. a. It's, it's next to Giant Rock. Yeah, very famous area. And there is a ley line that goes right through the Integratron. And okay. um, I believe that it looked like that UFO was maybe traveling along it. That was mm-hmm. my impression. And then the second one we saw together also moved. It was up in the sky, but we were down here in Desert Hot Springs, just mm-hmm. a little bit south of the Joshua Tree area. And um, we saw another white ball moving in impossible ways, you know, zigzagging uh, kind of motion across the sky. And it, too, took off north What I mm-hmm. along what may be that ley line again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about 930 at night in our backyard. And our backyard is so tiny, so we have a very small Limited window, very small yeah. view of the sky. <laughs> And just walked out there, and it was almost like we had just moved down to where we live now in 2021, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was almost like saying, hi, we know where, where you are and what, you know, we, we were saying greetings to you. It's it's just like the the odds of us seeing that at that time. And we were not the only ones to see it, too. They, we had a uh, – there was a couple that used to live on Earth Street. They also yeah, they saw, saw it, right. too. So there were – there were, you know, four witnesses to the same, the same thing. Again, silent, actually fairly large, and doing the, you know, the crazy, you know, rectangular. I mean, the tri- triangular movements. And it was, yeah. So, it was, uh, you know, when any craft we have, if it want to turn, turns all the way around, it mm-hmm. has to make a slow banking U-shaped, you know, arc. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one was making V turns, you know, at speed yeah. too. Very strange. <laughs> And Stephen's second U.S. UFO experience was actually a USO. It came mm-hmm. up out of the ocean off of the coast of Malibu. Right. Okay. And then did another b- bunch of zigzaggy, weird zigzaggy was, motions before it too took took off north, you know, and that gone. That was that was in uh, 2004. It was during the baseball playoffs between the Red Sox and the Yankees. I was at the chart house <laughs> off of Malibu. And I went to go get my car, and the valet went to go get my car, and and you just saw this thing come out of the ocean and hovered there for a while, like just white, soundless, and do a couple of weird movements and go 
up the coast of going up north. And mm-hmm. I said to him, said, you, did you see that? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I saw it. You know, I saw it. So, okay. And, you know, apparently Malibu is a, uh, is a hot spot for, yeah, uh, a hot spot for, for USOs. UFO and USO right. activity, yeah. yes. Um, by the way, I just want to mention of, of that back in like 2006, I went to a, a party with some friends at to, to Giant Rock, which is next to the Integratron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giant Rock has got its own history uh, that's kind of very strange in and of itself. There used to be an airport there, and they used to have UFO parties, parties and, in the and desert, things such yeah. that. But anyways, it was a full moon that night, and we had a couple cars out there, about nine people, and doing some dancing and that kind of stuff. And from behind, uh, being backlit by the full moon, these two objects that I, you know, having been in the military, been, in, you know, with, working with the, you know, the Navy and the, the CVs and the Marines, there were mm-hmm. two black helicopters and they were flying towards us about maybe two or 300 feet in the air standard. And they were completely soundless and they made this turn. It was the weirdest thing. We we're watching them. They made this turn. They like, they like giant rock was their was their point. So he made this turn, and they went back towards the 29 Palms military base, which I have worked on and done duty there. And mm-hmm. these things, if it had been like a dark night, we would have had no clue they were there. So the military right. does have black silent do, helicopters we do, now. We do, oh, yeah. I do know. I do know for a fact that, that we do. Yeah. But so. uh, we don't think those are UFOs exactly. No, those are uh, moving like might, a UFO. No. It might be reverse engineering from uh, mm-hmm. from UFO crash ships. Sound, can- yeah. sound canceling. Sound canceling. Technology, whatever. Well, um, if you guys may recall, when um, the Navy SEALs took out Osama bin Laden, they used a specific type of helicopter that supposedly uh, was silent as well. I know Chris is smirk um, because one of those helicopters crashed. Um, as well. So, yeah. but um, it, that technology the rescue, yeah. definitely seems like it uh, it exists. But um, it does. I wanted to go not rescue. Go back. Yeah, the uh, the operation. I mean, exactly. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But I just wanted to I wanted to jump back to the ley line thing that you guys were referencing and ask you a question because um, last Halloween timeframe we had on Chuck Zukowski, who he was um kind of the the focus of Ben Mesrick's book, the Thirty Seventh Parallel and the UFO Highway. Are you guys familiar with? With the the thirty seventh parallel, I thought it was the thirty third parallel. Pretty sure it's the thirty seventh. Okay. Um, but anyway, I was wondering if you guys knew if that ran um through where you guys were talking about that that ley line, um, if that continued through that area because Chuck spends the majority of his time, um, sort of like in the the mountainous areas of uh, the United States, you know, Colorado where he's located, and um, he deals with a lot of things that you guys brought up in um your book, cattle mutilation, um, but. I was just wondering if uh, you guys knew if that had any relation ley line wise. I'm hey, not Brandon, really right, sure where right exactly you jump where it goes into from it, I just here, but I wonder if it goes it through like Area 51, 37, or something okay. like that, or like through Shasta. We're not really. I'm not really sure on yeah, that. I'm, I'm more lot, familiar. There's, there's, I'm more familiar mm-hmm. with the ones that go through Europe. There's a few going through Shasta. Actually, it's supposed to be a like a crisscross mm-hmm. for a couple of them. I believe. Yes, one of the major crisscrosses. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I remember at the beginning of your book. Uh, you were talking about some of the experiences you had and your your father had like as a child. And it it reminds me of um, a few other stories I, I've heard of. So there's, there's sort of a precedence for some of the things that you've gone gone through. Um, yes. Sort of a trickster, chicanery type, you know, 
um, experience you guys had. You talk about jumping on your chest. Um, that was me. And, yeah, not my father. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. And I remember your dad talking about the closet door being open. Yes. Um, and uh, but I wanted to ask, like this, the the thing jumping on your chest and all this experience is like, what was that like growing up overall? I know you talk about it in the book, but like <laughs> from your mouth, you know, that had to be pretty insane. Well. I grew up in a family that I was told from pretty much day one that I could see. My memories go back to about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I remember going to school because I was I was sick every day of my life until I was two. I had chronically inflamed tonsils and adenoids, so I was sick. I was born sick. And I remember throwing up on my, on my teacher's lap at Montessori school when I was a year and a half, and she had to, like, drive back home and change her clothes and so I, my my memory goes back pretty far but i remember clearly when i was three that this entity would playfully jump on my chest and my stomach wake me up in the middle of the night invisible invisible mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it wasn't menacing at all it was just it was it didn't feel menacing but it was annoying in a way so it was just like <laughs> sure okay you know what you know you're gonna be jumping on me like if you're a cat or your dog, which we didn't have a cat, and my dog was way too big, so it was just this this being, this entity that would that would play with me, okay. And and I grew up in a family too that we were told from day one that we had a family spirit guy called O'Glegley that we talk about toward the beginning beginning of the book, and that several people actually several people uh, from different bloodlines had seen this entity at different points in their life. And so, you know, this is not the type of stuff you talk about with your with your friends at school. You know, my parents already had these weird British accents and I had slight British accents. So, you know, we didn't talk about this stuff. We kind of kept it within the family. We just accepted it as, as something that was part of our, you know, our heritage. So fast forwarding to when. Um, my brother was born. My brother used to sleep in the bottom of a bunk bed in my room, and I was on the top bunk bed. And I was nine years old, and he was he's six years younger than me, so he would be three. At this and, time, he started. He he became afraid, and he said he was afraid of the little men that you, would come in the night. Oh no, no Brian, my brother, my brother, a little bit later on, he started sleeping in the closet. Right. He start, about the age of six or seven, he started sleeping in the closet because. He was afraid of the little men that would come in the night mm. and would mm-hmm. bother him. But anyways, this particular time I'm talking about, when I was nine, I heard I was awakened by these uh, weird scuffling sounds in the house. And I knew it wasn't the dog. It wasn't the, the sound the dog made. So it was just odd. So I got out of my bed and I started walking down the hallway and I was fully alert because I was in adrenal ad, adrenal phase. It's my heart My heart was pounding. And I was, my eyes were dilated and I was, and my, my, my respiration was elevated. And I was, I was like kind of terrified in a way. I was like, you know, what am I going to see? Because it's not the dog and these sounds don't make any sense. Hmm. And as I'm about to turn the corner into the living room, I just go blank. I have no memory as far as what happened. And we found that to be the signature for the alien abduction phenomenon, where you'll see something strange or hear something strange and then black out. So the next Mm -hmm. thing I remember, I'm a couple hours later, I'm back somehow in my bunk bed sleeping soundly with no no recollection of how I got back or what I saw or what happened. 
Mm-hmm. And, and during this time, that was when you know my my brother, like a little bit after that, he started sleeping in the closet because of the little men. I saw the little men once too, um, which, believe it or not, that the little men that I saw, they were kind of shimmery and they looked literally literally like garden gnomes, and they were just outside my door and so in my door, and they were kind of backlit. And there's about four or five of them, and I, and I again, I don't know what whether i went back to sleep or or what happened on that particular instance but i did see so i understood why my brother was a little scared because i said you know i've seen them too we see mm-hmm. this uh, at least our, my re- our research is showing that uh this shimmery quality to memory is not uncommon when people see bizarre things but then they'll break mm-hmm. through these memories later and discover that the shimmery little gnomes were actually gray aliens or or something like that disguise and and then philip's case one time philip saw he was uh, 16 years old he had a few a different house yeah these incidents sometimes come in weird little clusters this was all in a week's time he um uh, what was the first one uh, again? All oh, the lights. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. It was the the two bright white uh, bright right. white lights that were outside of his window. This is in a very heavy heavily forested area with a creek uh, that was just uh, next to the house. So it was, there so was it, no road. There was no lights. There was no possibility of a car, car hitting the lights or anything in. like that. So he awakens to these bright lights just right outside his bedroom window. And that side of the house faces the forested area, especially. So it, there was definitely no way it could have been headlights. And um, as he was staring at them, he was trying to figure out what they were. And then he suddenly, again, goes blank, just out. Mm-hmm. And then um, later in the week, he heard a scrabble. He was lying in bed, and he heard a scrabbling sound down below. And he reached down because he thought it was one of the cats. So he reached down to pet the cat. And instead, an, a hand grabbed his arm. And once again, he Everybody's blacks out. Here. And then the third incident in that cluster of incidents, he awoke to see an actual tall gray alien in his room before immediately again blacking out. Mm-hmm. So it was then that we realized what kind of a phenomenon we were dealing with. And they do tamper with memory. Um, we were just going over some of the more bizarre experiences. His, his um, again, a sh- kind of in a shimmery, uh, memory his mother saw um, a basket come down out of the ceiling at her house and it was a giant basket it looked like an, a huge artichoke and this this thing pops open and she says little chinese people came out of the basket we're it's about four feet tall four to five, four feet, to five tall. feet tall and they started dancing around like they're dressed like circus performers and then on the other side of the room she sees a bizarre four foot tall little miniature elephant also dancing around and obviously, this isn't what was really going on. There were no Chinese people. There was no elephant. But they tamper with memory. And um, in this case, she ended up remembering something completely strange. Well, you know? let, me, let me elaborate a bit on that, okay? Okay. This all, mm-hmm. this all happened 1988. This happened the morning of Chinese New Year, which 1988 was Year of the Dragon. I, I kind of remember this stuff because I was an acupuncturist for 20 <laughs> years. But anyway, so my, my parents didn't follow this stuff at all. So my mom was sleeping in. Uh, this is a house that we built. My dad and I, we built 
ourselves, you know, it was a, about 4,000 square foot house, uh, two and a half stories. So anyways, my mom was sleeping in, in the, um, the upstairs living room. She's sleeping on the sofa. My dad was in the back bedroom about 75 feet away. So when my mom was experiencing this, and these these uh, Chinese people were beckoning to my mom saying, yes, hey, come with us, come with come us, kind of this us. kind of stuff, right? And, mm-hmm. and, there, and there were footprints no. that were weird. She had, she, when she got up, my dad and I saw these weird footprints that were in, in the, the carpet. In the carpet, you know, like impressions. Oh, well, but when weird. this stuff was happening, my dad was sleeping in the back bedroom 75 feet away, and he heard, I've got him the set of these Chinese bells, the five-tone Chinese bells that used to be popular back in the 80s. And he heard these things like ringing, like somebody's like ringing the dinner bell. And he Mm -hmm. thought, oh, my God, there must be a windstorm and they're going to get blown off. So he's awakened by these bells and he looks out the window and there's no Mm -hmm. there's no wind whatsoever. Then he said, well, maybe it was like a little squall that came through. And he he walked outside, he checked the, the bells and the bells weren't moving at all. So then he, he walked into the, um, you know, walked in to make coffee because that day they were going to ca- catch a bus to go to Lake Tahoe for doing some gambling because I like gambling once in a while. So anyway, so they, they kind of met and my mom said, you wouldn't believe what I just saw. <laughs> and my dad said, well, you wouldn't believe what I just heard. Yeah. And so they talk about it, get their coffee, go down to get the, into the bus. And while they're on the bus going to uh, Lake Tahoe, they hear that. Hey, it's Chinese New Year. You know, it's Year of the Dragon. Year of the Dragon. So yeah. like, mm-hmm. they had no, they had no clue that it was that 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 it was the year. You know, it was Year of the Dragon. Plus, they were in two different rooms and they experienced different. My dad saw, heard, had the oral, had the auditory um, thing happen. My mom had the visual thing happen. Mm-hmm. So. But um, very bizarre experiences. And we find a lot of this in the family where they'll see something very bizarre or strange. And then the next thing and we know they black out or mm-hmm. um, they'll hear something very odd or bizarre and strange. And the next thing we know, and, they black and out this, again. this particular thing, my parents did not black out. No, yeah. they were they were yeah. they did not black out. It was very odd. So um, if I could ask real quick, um, you were talking about garden gnomes and they're. Uh, at least online recently, I've seen a lot more where people bring up folklore, folk legends like gnomes, right? It's pretty mm-hmm. common throughout Europe, um, fairies, things like that. When they right. um, discuss them, that perhaps they're they're not folklore, and um, I see a lot of it now being ascribed to potentially some sort of extraterrestrial or interdimensional thing. Is like we, you know, modern times trying to throw our own spin and understanding things. So, do you think um, perhaps that German folklore about gnomes or English folklore about gnomes and fairies and things like that, that perhaps these are encounters with alien beings. And yes, could they're, be. yeah. Okay. How are you guys like the Tuatha De Duanan in, uh, in, in Ireland, those legends that go back to where they, the uh, Tuatha De Duanan were uh, basically considered to be, you know, uh, like demigods in a sense. Yes, they were, yeah. they were tall um, very pale, blue-eyed or green-eyed pe- uh, people with either mm-hmm. very blonde or, or red hair. hair. Um, mm-hmm. They were said to be the um, the learned of the people, the architects, the um, the uh, artists, the, the uh, builders, and um, the druids also have a similar uh, similar uh, mythology about about them. And they uh, supposedly at one point in time they they retreated underground 
and they mm-hmm. became like the fairy myths of the um of the irish and the uh the gaelics and the welsh coasts you know they um they uh were attributed to have been like like the builders of of uh, stonehenge able to build mm-hmm. large constructions manipulate uh, rock and manipulate rock and then suddenly they just all decide to go underground Mm-hmm. And we found hundreds of myths, really, about un- underground civilizations and underground mm-hmm. people. And I started forming a theory a long time ago about it where, um, well, my first thought was, what if the flood myths really, because I had just read uh, Fraser's book on flood myths um, in mm-hmm. the 1700s, this man named Fraser, he, uh, he hunted down 500 separate flood myths coming from ancient lore of mm-hmm. people all around the planet. Mm-hmm. And since that time, since the 1700s, that um, that number has only been added to. And About 1,200 now. I believe Childress uh, said on um, Ancient Aliens one night, he said that uh, uh, there are now about 1,200 fl- uh, separate cultures mm-hmm. all around the world with a flood myth in their most ancient lore. Which probably the most recognizable experience. I'm sorry. Probably the most recognizable one would be the Noah's flood from the Bible. Exactly. I think good old, yes. the, the Noah story. The, in but, fact, okay. in fact Graham Hancock uh, entertained that a lot too in Fingerprints of the Gods. Yes. Mm-hmm. He said that basically that human, the human race is a race with amnesia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we know what caused it. Um, years ago, I surmised, well, what if the flood really did happen? And um, I had just been learning about uh, the Coriolis effect with um, – with, uh, how the, the ocean currents on the planet always travel to the west at the equator. And uh, it's because the planet is rotating east out from under the water, so to speak. So the mm-hmm. currents are moving west. And I thought, well, if the flood ever did happen and it flooded the entire floodplain of the Great Plains of North America, the water would be forced westward. And actually, it would have to uh, drain out between the two mountain ranges right where the Grand Canyon is. And I, so I surmised back then that maybe the Great Flood really did happen and carved the Grand Canyon in not millions of years, like geologists say, but maybe in a couple in of months, weeks, you know, as, weeks, uh, yes. as the water was draining out the west side of the plains. And this was a, a theory I had been working on as, you know, I, I pr- pitched it to my dad when I was 21 years old. And mm. uh, then... I heard about 25 years ago, I heard about the discovery of nano diamonds in the mm-hmm. Ucello horizon and the Younger Dryas boundary. Mm-hmm. And for your listeners that don't know, um, the Ucello horizon is a layer of charcoal that was uh, laid down on um, 10 different countries and four, four con- different continents yeah. um, 13,000 years ago. And it, it points to the fact that all of these countries' forests were on fire at the same time. And one of the ways that this could happen would be an airburst from a comet or an asteroid or a meteor coming through our, our atmosphere, which is what exactly what we think happened. But once the nano diamonds were discovered in this soil, we knew for sure that it was an um, a celestial impact of some kind because they form in no other way. The mm-hmm. dust that surrounds a meteor or an asteroid that when it comes through our atmosphere, the dust around it um, is superheated and forms these microscopic little round diamonds. So we knew we were looking for an asteroid or a meteor impact crater of some kind. And since the nano diamond concentration was highest, the further northeast of you went in the North American continent, 
we surmised that it was probably under the ice sheet. And then 2016 rolls around in northern Greenland under the Hiawatha um, Glacier. Glacier, we find... Um, Somebody found, found the actual... Yep. Um, Impact the site. crater, and so now we know for a fact, for sure, that the great number one, the great flood really happened, and explains why uh, human history rarely ever goes back prior to thirteen thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much when human history begins, uh, with only a few exceptions. The Sumerian tablets talk about the before four times, mm-hmm. you know, uh, way yeah. way back, but but that's just about it. Otherwise, there isn't much um, knowledge, and what we surmised is that. Perhaps there was a very advanced human civilization on the planet when the asteroid hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the devastation following the asteroid impact would have been so catastrophic that any evidence of an advanced civilization would pretty much be scraped off the planet all at the same time as the 2,000-foot tsunamis would rush to every coast in the world. And we, and mm-hmm. we, also, and we also surmise, too, that... Because all the myths talk about one thing they have in common is that there was the flood four, myths, yes. yeah, the flood myths. There was forewarning and foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. That there was uh, maybe a, maybe a number of years. It could be a couple of years or whatever. It says either build the city underground like Darren Kuyu in in uh, Turkey yeah. or or build an ark or, or Go to whatever. Go very high ground. <laughs> and what we also found too was that around that same time there was a huge bottleneck genetically that we can confirm that that the human race was reduced down to about 10,000 or so individuals at one particular time. So the can you, can you jump that into on, some of sorry? the evidence on the, I was going to ask you if you could jump into some of the evidence on that genetic bottleneck you were talking about. I found now, that really Jason interesting. Martell talks a lot about it and you can like, you can actually see it. Um, it's referenced in our book, of it's course, mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't remember. It was a scientific study that showed the, uh, uh, in a graph, the human genetic map um, prior to some cataclysm that narrowed it down to an hourglass shape. Mm-hmm. At one point, we were much more a diverse race of people and then narrowed down to about 10,000 individuals from which the entire population has since regenerated. You, you can see the same thing like with the California condor and stuff like that where, you know, hmm. basically with selective breeding and that kind of stuff that, you know, they, you know, for 24 individuals that, you know, they... But that's with selective breeding. But you can kind of you can see it definitely because you know there are only four base pairs in the human genome, and you can you can actually tell when you go back generation and generation and generation, you end up finding there's less diversity. So literally, we have regenerated as eight billion people from only about about ten thousand or so uh, individuals. Which... And there are some definite hints that we were fairly advanced prior to this happening. Uh, the megalithic structures scattered all over the world that look like they were built by the same hand, even though they're thousands and thousands of years old, and uh, points, to a, yeah. points to a pyramid building civilization that had spread pretty much worldwide prior to the, the flood, the catastrophe. The fact that they had um, a fair warning in advance means that they had ast- astrology and astronomy, astronomy rather. Yeah. I'm sorry, astronomy. Uh, astronomical skills where they could uh, figure out that they were about to be hit by a comet. And we think, uh, you know, like the human race, we know for a fact, has been on the planet Homo sapiens sapien for mm-hmm. at least 120,000 years. But, you know, we it, uh, mainstream archaeology would have us believe that we only sat around for 107,000 years 
without inventing anything, not even the house. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, this just isn't the human race. You know, the human race, we're good, bad or indifferent. We are an industrious, curious, creative people. And we constantly striving to make better things sitting stagnant for so long. And then there's, of course, there's the stories Uh, of Lemuria and um, I think he had a question there. uh, And uh, um, uh, sorry, Atlantis also Mm -hmm. uh, being advanced cities, quite advanced. And so we think that they had a space program, not unlike our own, and that they settled, uh, they, they created bases on Mars. We think the structures that we see on Mars were actually just built by the human race prior to us being devastated by the Hiawatha asteroid. Mm-hmm. Did you have okay. a question, by the way? Uh, yeah. Um, the f- Chris might have a question, too, but yeah, I'll yeah, let you I go first, to- Chris. All right, sounds good. I just wanted to jump in, and and I find your alternative view to I think what would be called the uh, common accepted version of history to be very fascinating. So as I'm I'm a Christian uh, by by worldview and by paradigm, and I found some very interesting correlations uh, from what you guys were saying uh, based on on your theories. The first one being that the earth or at least human history being only around 10 to 20,000 years old, which I don't know how much uh, studying you guys have in, in like the Christian Bible or in the old Testament scriptures. But if you go back uh, and just, just count the generations from Adam to Noah, which are the first two big characters in the book of Genesis, and then Noah uh, in through, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the established uh, history of the Israelite people, then just and then you take a look at what the Bible says their ages were as they passed away. Then you come up with a uh, a history that's roughly I think you said thirteen thousand. I think it's roughly like twelve thousand eight hundred years. They're like somewhere yes, like exactly twelve thousand right nine hundred years is, is the amount is very, of uh, time. Yeah, and I thought that was incredibly interesting. And then you were also talking about uh, signs of genetic bottlenecking uh, in the the historical account and so i i pulled this up because i just kind of wanted to juxtapose and and hold uh these two things up for anybody that might uh because i i was like this uh the first time that i started studying like ufos ua i think we're supposed to call them uaps now right i think is the new newness or whatever yeah, technically yeah <laughs> you can but call in genesis, what you want. <laughs> right whatever right. in genesis chapter six are you guys familiar with the story of the daughters of god uh breeding or sorry sorry the sons mm-hmm. of god breeding oh, with the, the daughters nephilim? of man and then you're talking about the book of enoch oh this is in genesis it's chapter six i have it pulled up no, no. here right right next to me um but yeah it just uh it you know it, it states that the daughters or the sons of god which it leaves it uh, innocuous to what that means is breeding with the daughters of men. And then when God saw that this was happening and Nephilim were created and were walking among, yes. you know, on the earth, then he had, he was sorry that he made man and vowed to destroy them. But, and then we immediately go into the Noah story. Noah's family found favor in the eyes of God. And so then we have the flood account, which you, you covered. Uh, and then very interesting after the flood, you talks about that genetic bottlenecking, like you were saying, uh, we come out of the flood, and it's not even three chapters later in in Genesis after after the Noah account ends, uh, where we have the the Tower of Babel, 
or some people say Babel, where you were talking about why would all of the the different groups on earth, the different cultures have uh, like pyramid building? Why are a lot of their structures look the same? Why is their architecture all seem to to come from a, a the central same hand, source? Yes. <laughs> right. Well, it's like at one point, all of mankind was a according to the Christian Bible, and I'll, I'll hedge that, was of a single culture. And even in Genesis chapter 11, God looks at man and says, if left to their own devices, I'm paraphrasing, but if left to their own devices, there is nothing that they will not be able to accomplish. You know, the and Sumerian so, versions of the, the Sumerian tablets, as, as uh, decoded, had a great many stories that were also found in the Bible, but they're subtly different, which is very, mm. I found very interesting. For instance, um, the uh, this story about uh, Adam and Eve being expelled from Eden. Uh, Eden was actually a place in Mesopotamia, uh, mm-hmm. spelled E-D-I-N. It was a section of Mesopotamia. And it uh, was famous for its gardens. And um, the Sumerian god Enlil um, had uh, humans working his gardens for him. And um, Enlil was infuriated when uh, the other Anunnaki started having sex with humans and creating the Nephilim. And uh, he, fe- he felt it was an enormous heresy. And so when Eve um, takes the apple, I mean, he's not furious over a piece of fruit, right? He's mm. um, the, the idea in the Bible, when you're talking about knowledge or knowing, mm. it's actually the sexual knowing of a man knowing a woman. So mm. um, it actually, in the Sumerian version, Eve is not guilty of eating a piece of fruit. She's guilty of having sex with a, nef- um, a um, Sumerian, an Anunnaki, Anunnaki. god. <laughs> yeah. And um, apparently, in, in the Sumerian version, Enlil becomes furious and hates, he's getting tired of the noise of a man and is supposed to be responsible for the um, asteroid impact. And, it, it, hmm. you know, it's been surmised that maybe they were um, a spacefaring race actually able to throw an asteroid at us or possibly just saw it coming and decided, oh, we're not going to help anybody. We'll let them all just die in the flood. And then Enlil's brother, Enki, who is frequently um, uh, depicted as a serpent, Mm-hmm. In uh, the uh, you know in the old uh, um, testament, and no in the the Sumerian tablets, he's uh, equated with fish frequently or serpents, mm-hmm. and so he was the one that um, helped create man by in their in their mythos that uh, in their mythos the Sumerian gods created man from Homo erectus. He took Homo erectus and uplifted him into Homo sapien, and then over the next 50,000 years, perfected the model into Homo sapien sapien. And uh, this explains, if it's true, it explains one of the missing links between Homo erectus and Homo sapien is an enormous difference in the brain. We cover it a little bit in the book, mm. where um, they they suddenly develop a frontal cortex. A and neocortex, a, yeah. a, able to Able to um, reason and... Uh, the way Problem I put it in the book and... is uh, the Homo erectus used to drink water just like an animal. He'd, he'd reach his hand into the stream and cup it into his mouth, whereas Homo sapien 
would build a chair and a cup and sit and drink water because mm -hmm. he has, you know, comfortably because he has figured out how to build these things. In other words, he's a reasoning, inventing, uh, creative thinking being. Mm -hmm. So uh, the it's funny how the Bible, uh, a lot of the stories that were are in the Bible have a different, slightly different version in um, the ancient Sumerian text. It's really quite interesting. But the uh, the ancient flood myths, there they had one in the Sumerian mm -hmm. uh, stories as well. Uh, the, the Noah was Zia Sudra in this case, and mm -hmm. um, Zia Sudra's family found favor with Enlil after the flood waters receded because he his family never engaged in this blasphemous um, having sex with Anunnaki. And so uh, uh, there's a story in how um, he forgave the family of Ziasudra and gave him um, gave he and his family the ability to grow crops and he um, uh, he gave them animals to uh, animal husbandry yeah mm -hmm. um, that had been modified to be more docile the the domestic animals of of man and uh so it's it's very fascinating getting back into the um into the ancient sumerian and, and right. bible verses right. talking about a lot of this and in the in the tower of babel story um the sumerian version is that the humans were getting uppity and were building not a tower, but a launching tower to I launch was, a I, spaceship you, you, of their you, own. You, you know, <laughs> you, beat, you beat me there. I was going. I was going to say because right. in the in the Christian version, it said that they were going to build a tower to heaven. Uh, is yeah, what most, to reach or heaven, a tower exactly. to the gods is what most uh, uh, Christian versions would say. And I was going to ask you, and you beat me to the punch. Is <laughs> in your view, did you think that that was you, you said an ancient space program to get to the stars? That's where I, I was so. going with it. You yeah. think so? Yes, and also too, about you know, scattering to the four corners of the earth and teaching us all different languages. You know, we were speaking one language apparently at one point, and right. uh, obviously, if you want to keep, if you want to keep uh, people ignorant, a, a little more ignorant, then you basically separate them and you teach them different languages. So <laughs> mm -hmm. it wouldn't take more than a couple of generations to make us. Uh, less less of a threat that's for sure but the the and, anunnaki um stories that this was all supposed to have happened hundreds of thousands of years ago but what i think is that uh what who is flying our ship the ships in our airspace now the ufos and uaps in our airspace now we think they are cousins of humanity that split away from us prior to the hiawatha asteroid impact yeah have you guys ever seen the movie uh deep impact mm-hmm a long so, time ago. Yeah, long they time had ago. the same. They had like the same problem, right? They mm. see an asteroid coming at them that's going to essentially cause an almost extinction level event, right? Now, yeah. So uh, they did. We think they did exactly the same thing. The plan B in the movie was to build an, these underground arcs and take the best of humanity and all their technology and uh, all of their knowledge with them down under the ground. And uh, so they would have been safe down there, whereas the rest of us on the on the poor schmucks on the surface would have been wiped out in droves, died in droves with very, very few survivors. Uh, and so the, we think that this strain of humanity that broke away from us 13,000 years ago and went underground, we think they stayed underground mostly because um, the Ucello horizon shows 1,100 years of climate catastrophes 
after the uh, impact. Well, we talk about in our book in one chapter that one of the things we found out that was interesting is just how frequently these uh, almost extinction level events occur, uh, meteorite impacts, asteroid impacts, they're a lot more frequent than people think. And if you have the technology to be able to build underground cities, I mean, you know, literally underground cities with geothermal and all that stuff, you would, uh, you know, number one, you'd be a lot safer you'd because be you, safer. you wouldn't be being knocked right. back all the time. And so, 1100 years is a long time. It's a long time. So yes. people probably got to where they wouldn't want to come back to the surface. The surface is scary. And, a few uh, generations and the kids would say this is what they know. And you know? what would happen if we, if you put humans underground for 13,000 years? I'll tell you, we would get uh, paler. Our eyes would get larger and mm -hmm. uh, the pupils would grow so they could see in the dark. They would become thinner. They would become hairless because they no longer need hair to protect their front the top of their heads from the sun i'm pretty sure tolkien talked about this this is something really <laughs> exactly, familiar yeah. a little bit yeah <laughs> yes yeah definitely there's there are similarities too we've talked right. about that too with tolkien we took you took some of his stuff from the lord of the rings from the, from Chua, the ancient myths the oh the very people, cool you know and the dwarves and yeah. you know living underground right. for a long time and the, changing the runic them. the runic symbols runic language mm -hmm. you know Things like that. And when you look at, for instance, you know, the closest relative we have on the planet is the bonobo chimp. That's mm. our closest known relative. But if you look at the, in your mind's eye, what everyone sketches, you know, the abductee sketch of the gray aliens to be, they are standing perfectly upright. They have mm -hmm. clavicles, nipples, elbows bending the right way. They're essentially, skeletally, they're the same as we are. Hmm. And we are there. We have a lot more in common with the gray aliens than we do with the the bonobo chimps. Now, and then there's another branch. Me, can uh, you forgive me on. for just a second? Sure. Uh, as as the uh, unindoctrinated, uh, and I'm sure like many of the viewers are probably not going to be up to speed as well. Uh, can you kind of give me like a uh, real quick, maybe like two minute primer when you guys are? I've heard you reference the grays i've heard you referenced uh i think the nords i've, I've heard a, a bunch of these things come out can you give me like a real quick like two minute primer on who we're talking about so i can kind of frame in and follow the conversation sure um we think that uh 13, years ago the human race separated into two uh, beings that kept their technology and didn't lose their culture and knowledge and technology and um beings that were inundated with the flood barely survived um and essentially were thrown back into the stone age technologically speaking and some of these beings actually that that kept their technology look very much like us they call yes, them the, the nordic the nordic aliens are described as um swedes they look like mm -hmm. swedish humans they're tall blonde blue-eyed or green-eyed um and they're very pale and they look they are indistinguishable from human beings that also explains the uh, the ease in which they can uh, interbreed with us yes that i you know that's that's another thing they have this bizarre breeding program i, I don't think chris probably has heard of this one but uh, as we started doing research into the abduction phenomenon, we discovered right away that it, uh, theory was not actually lining up with the facts. The facts 
were that the humans that being taken were being taken again and again and again, and then they would start taking their children and then their grandchildren. It's not what we thought, like um, they were just, aliens are just curious about us. They're taking a cross section of DNA from, uh, you know, cross section of humanity just because of scientific and curiosity. But that's not what we found was happening. What's in happening instead is they seem to um, prefer a genetic strain of the Caucasian race. Primarily. Um, about 95% of abductees are Caucasians. Mm-hmm. And they prefer, like I say, once they find a strain of DNA they like that meets their criteria, whatever it is for, for their criteria, they take that person again and again through their whole lives and then start taking, like I said, like I said their progeny. Also, mm-hmm. their, also their, uh, their strange uh, need for uh, cattle DNA and also mm-hmm. uh, any, other, any other domesticated animal, you also find the same kind of things happen. The skyward eye being uh, taken out, being cauterized. And they the take sex, the genetic organs. The sex organs, yeah. and also they exsanguinate uh, them, too. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a need for genetic material. Yes. And so this would be the... Also, this really quickly here is that these, these, uh, these myths tend to uh, segue and tend to interlock with the mythos of vampires. What do they have in common? They come at night. They're very powerful. They can paralyze you. Hypnotize or paralyze you. Take your genetic material in the form again of and again. You know, very so it's, interesting. It's it's, it's you yeah. see you see the crossover here. And okay. then um, we began to. I study do. I'm the following. That, that following was our you. two minutes. Okay. Uh, that was. Oh well, that was that was the Nords. We I think you've got uh, at least four other groups I've heard you talk about so far. Or yeah, there's others, the uh, the Nordics and the Greys and the reptilians. Okay and the um, the insectoids. But all of these beings are bipedal hominids. One head, two arms, two legs, upright standing. Bilateral um, just symmetry. Just the reptilians have scales. Now, we believe that these creatures, the Nordics, I think, are in charge um, of the whole operation. We think they utilize genetic engineering just like we would use any tool. Uh, we think, for instance, they engineered uh, the domesticated animals of mankind. That's why there's 300 kinds of cow and four types of zebra and why there's two kind of lions, but there's uh, 300 different kind of dogs. Yeah, you relatively know? <laughs> speaking, yes. We think that they this is um, evidence of their tampering with genetic material prior to the 13,000 years. And we're, we're doing the same thing right now with CRISPR technology. We're, we're, we're starting to uh, toy around with like being able to cure certain types of blindness. A company called Denali is doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing around with that because it's really actually with only four base pairs, it's pretty easy to identify where sure. the uh, where the anomaly or the uh, dysfunction is and you basically cut and paste. We think but that per your assertions, we're just Hold like on. 13,000 years behind them is what yes, you're saying. exactly. Yes. At least 13,000 years because we're not sure if they were more ahead of us where we are now when they sure. took their technology. We think they were a few a few generations ahead. Too. Now, are there, cert- are there certain of these groups, you, you said the Nordics, uh, the Greys, the Reptilians, and the Insectoids. Thank you, Brain. Are there certain of these groups that are uh, malevolent? towards man uh i I think i think yes when when, and you know number one if we if we were created in our gods or god's image you know we've got the seven deadly sins in spades you know you know greed gluttony lust vanity pride wrath and sloth so (laughs) 
No, who's to say who's to say that they don't have some of that too? Maybe what we think is that they didn't lose their ability to be telepathic. Yes, we that's think a that, that's a human um, yeah, trait. Yeah, we think that it's a it's it's a right that we have. It's an ability that we have. But it's atrophied is, in that us. That is atrophied. That actually we haven't been taught, or you know, from day one. I think we have it pretty much as, as children, especially as young children. Um, you know, uh, that we have that innate ability, but... But to you... talk about the, back to the uh, the greys and the reptilians yes. and the, the insectoids, uh, the point I was getting to was that we think that whenever they need, say, a bunch of underwater work done, instead of uh, putting scuba gear on, they, they instead breed a, a group of aliens that can um, breathe underwater. In other words, they use genetics just like any tool that we would maybe use. Like we do you know? Legos. You know? So we think Very that for some reason they needed reptilians, and so they bred reptilians. We think sometimes at some point they needed uh, – we think the greys may represent a slave race that they've created mm -hmm. from yes, possibly so. the genetic material they're stealing from white people. Yes, because, you know, human <laughs> beings make – we make terrible slaves. Right. We're awful we slaves. We make terrible we're, slaves. We're a willful – We um, sure do. You know, and Americans are the bunch, worst. You know? <laughs> but the gray aliens are re recorded as being completely emotionless. Therefore, no, no annoying free will and you know? telepathic. And telepathic. Is this, is this what I would recognize as like the the small, prototypical large heads, alien that you big yes, black eyes, X Files, yeah, X Files thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but we don't yeah. think they're okay. coming here from distant star systems. No, it makes mm -hmm. no sense. We think they're coming here from bases all around our own solar system. Like from, mm. we st think they still have bases on Mars. We think they still have bases on the Moon. Back dark side of the moon and um and then mm. um there was a probe that was coming in on the moon phobos one of mars's mm -hmm. moons and it spotted a structure right before the probe mm -hmm. was destroyed and so we think that it got too close to another one of the bases around the solar system but they're also living um in underground bases we we know that um, we call them cities, actually. Yeah, cities or, or bases. And um, some of these bases are joint military-slash-alien-run bases. Mm -hmm. uh, the two mm -hmm. in Alaska, for instance. Oh, those are the research facilities, yes. Yes. And um, we think that in the 40s, our government discovered the existence of the these creatures. And um, there was talk of a meeting between the Nordics and Eisenhower in the, the 50s, where I believe they made a deal of, oh you know, we'll keep your secret for you if you share some of your technology with us. And um, we think that that's the reason they did refuse to disclose the truth to us, because they would have to um, fess up to this evil pact, which essentially gave them carte blanche to continue abducting the citizens of this country um but i'm sure that the way the way the the uh i'm sure uh brandon will knows that the way the military mind works is is that well if we get technology that helps us win a war that would save thousands of peoples or millions of people so um it's worth it to have yeah, them go ahead and take the uh, samples they want and because and we can't prevent it anyway and we there's nothing we can do to prevent it anyway so well, we'll let just, me um, <laughs> let, let, let brandon yeah okay ask so i want to uh talk a little bit about like the the breeding programs and some of the other things that, that are going on because uh the 
concept yes. of the the greys essentially being some sort of like drone species or slave species essentially that just kind of does the bidding of like maybe the nordics or, or a higher thing um mm-hmm. i've heard that i've heard that before i'm familiar with it and when we were talking to 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 chuck i asked him one of the things like why why take all this blood from from cattle what's the point i don't understand and one of the things he referenced that i found really interesting is that during world war ii and prior um, bovine hemoglobin was used as a supplement for human blood on, yes. on the battlefield. That's and right. it was also used the by, plasma. Um, they could use the plasma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was also, also used by, by nurses. Too. Yeah. Correct. Salt right. water was also used in crises too. It, it definitely, definitely was. Yeah. Um, but essentially that this is, this just a, um, a part of the, the impregnation and, and like hybrid program, essentially that the cattle blood is, is like the, the conduit essentially to help bring about these, these hybrid species, essentially. Um, it, but could my, be, it could also be that when they went underground, what? they possibly took some of the cattle herds with them mm-hmm. and as a food source that's been living underground. And it, uh, we think that it's possible that, both they and their cattle are becoming less viable, having lived mm-hmm. underground for so long and need regular infusions of surface DNA from right. surface animals. Well, let me let me ask you this. So the the idea of having like the the supreme race of, of aliens that kind of runs all runs the show, like you guys said, right. um, the, the Nordics. There seems to be both a benevolent and a malevolent aspect to them, right? So right before yes. you referenced how there's there's all these different um, legends about the the Great Flood, and there's these these warnings about what's coming. Hey, do this to take care of your family, but at the same time, abducting people against their will, performing these experiences, um, experiments on people, terrorizing people. So my question to you then, like, what in your um, summaration would be the point of being benevolent? Right. Is it just to maintain a race of beings to sort of leech off of Um, or is there so like different factions essentially that that have different plans? Well, we don't see them as being benevolent. Okay, we see Mm -hmm. them as we're a necessity. Okay, Mm -hmm. we're a necessity, something that they need. Okay, Mm -hmm. they are not in any sense that we've seen or been able to find that they're just here to be airy fairy about stuff and just Mm -hmm. say, oh, well, we care about you because basically it's actions speak louder than words. And what they've done in the past and what they're currently doing Mm -hmm. does not bespeak to me at all that these people are just benevolent. Yes, Mm -hmm. uh, we think they're serving their own. needs and their own agenda rather than um, serving ours. But uh, our, our, um, we believe since they're living underground here, once the, the, we, we discovered the atomic bomb and mm-hmm. atomic power, that they started freaking out. They started mm-hmm. following our uh, military and keeping tabs on our military. There was the incident at Malmstrom where they showed us that they could de- deactivate our weapons anytime they wanted to. Right. And uh, the, the incident, the Minot uh, incident as well. And uh, we've learned from the pilots of the, the Tic Tac incident and the Red Ripper squad that were uh, the ones that got the fast. Yeah. At the hearings last summer, they spoke about that these objects are following our military every single time we go out. Mm-hmm. We think at the Eisenhower meeting was 
they tried to convince us to give up our nukes and were not successful in doing that. And since then, that has been, in my opinion, their highest priority. They're particularly worried about our nukes. And I think that's evidence for our theory that they're here with us. That they live here. Yeah, they have skin in the game, too. If yes, we wreck the planet, the they're, they're in trouble, too, right? You know, so. So, so then if, if you are um, like trying to understand here, because this, this is one of the questions I've written down. Um, if if they are like more technologically advanced and they are superior to us, wouldn't you say that they had ultimate leverage to sit at the table with human beings and say this new toy, thing. this new toy that you have, these nuclear weapons, it's instead of asking for you to stop using them, do something essentially to, to stop so, using to, them. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, so they're... why not? Why not force the inferior race of people to stop using their shiny new toy? Well, there's okay. There's a, a lot of reasons for that. You go back to uh, the War of the Worlds, 1938. Mm. That was it. Was it was it was advertised. This is this is a play. This is not real, right? But mm -hmm. people tuned into it late, and people believed it. Showed out. Mm -hmm. This is how xenophobic we are. We're we're fearful of things that are different or maybe more powerful than we are. So we saw that. Definitely. We saw that. We saw also too that you know that we literally are we are children. You know that are playing yes. with very advanced technology and toys of the gods. And the problem is that you know there's eight <laughs> billion of us now too. That we may very well completely outnumber them. And <laughs> you know when you're trying to get a, something across to basically something that has a maybe an IQ of like a hundred, they've got maybe an IQ of two hundred and fifty, and they just it's like they don't completely understand it. Plus, they may also have their own fact faction saying, "Listen, just leave them alone." Or right. We think that there may be more than one of these yes, arcs there's, there's, uh, yes. where there's different kinds of them. They, got different different view, they, they have their own viewpoints on this. Say, you know, you know the the, uh, the famous uh, famous Battle of Los Angeles in 1942. Mm -hmm. They were supposedly trying yeah. to contact us were, during that time. They were time. trying to contact I remember us. Reading that they, were, yeah. The uh, I wanted to mention here that we believe that the diary written by Admiral Byrd mm -hmm. was a true meeting uh, that he had with the race of beings that are living under the ice sheet in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. Again, Nordics. The, uh, the Ariani, as they, they name themselves. Mm -hmm. In this meeting that he had with them, they essentially said that we normally don't have anything to do with you people. Um, we, you know, you're barbarians. We try and avoid having anything to do with your wars. Mm -hmm. um, so there, and he kept calling him my son, you know, like mm -hmm. he's a father to him or a fatherly figure to him. And he, he told us why they want, they were going to do the abduction phenomenon as well. He said, we're going to um, take samples of your race so that you in case you do blow yourselves up, we'll, we'll be able to regenerate you. Um, so that right there explains part of the abduction phenomenon, perhaps. Except I think that's a lie. I think they actually need say, us. It's, yeah, it would, it's more of a yeah, need yeah, situation. It would appear to be more of a lie. Why tell them the, the actual truth, you know? Yeah. You know what you right, just reminded right. me of, Brandon, with that, that line of conversation? Have you ever seen the movie At World's End? Any of you guys? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, the at world's end. Yes. At world's end. Oh, yes, I love that and movie. So, yeah, uh, thank you. And so, it's you were reminding me when you said if you've got a race and it's only a few of them, and they've got like IQs of two fifty, and then like you know seven billion of us, but we only cap out at like an <laughs> IQ of a hundred. And he gets to the end, and he looks, yeah. and they're like, "What is it that you want? We want to get loaded." 
Yeah, we have a good time. We want to we want to f off whenever we want to. And the and the aliens are like, all right, oh, you screw guys are it. just too. Yeah, we can't yeah, deal with okay, you guys. Whatever, no, we not. can't deal with it. I have to watch it. Deal with you. It's a good yeah. That's what that's what immediately yeah, came to my mind as you were saying that. We're gonna do all the thirteen pubs. It's a good mm-hmm. one, Brandon. You got to go watch it. It's a good it's one. hilarious. Yes, we we do recommend it for fun, yeah. but we don't believe that aliens are uh, blue, you know, inside. No, or, yeah, not that. But heads are Martin porcelain or anything. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we think he's talking here. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, um, it's in your book, but it, and it has become pretty popular, um, and on social media and stuff like that. But could we talk about yeah. essentially who Admiral Byrd is following up after World War II and what Operation High Jump was essentially, uh, oh, to yes. contextualize that for people listening? The, you know, when we bring up Hitler, everyone says yeah. like, God, could it get any weirder? But it's true. <laughs> um, in the Buckle 30s, up. Hitler was showing a bizarre uh, interest in the Antarctica continent. And he was expending resources, uh, searching up and down the coast of Queen Maudlin with his U-boats. And uh, there was an admiral, Grand Admiral Donetsk, uh, was in charge of the fleet. And he was quoted as saying that they found a paradise under the ice sheet in Antarctica. Right. For the Fuhrer. And then they later, um, he said, we've built an impregnable fortress under the ice for our Fuhrer. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, right. we're proud. Uh, the motherland is proud. You know, Just as a little segue in there, back in the early 30s, Himmler especially was involved with the Thule Society, which was... Mm-hmm had to do with spiritualism and yep. and Hitler was famously known for like making decisions based upon a uh, spiritualist uh, yeah. that would basically you know that would uh, read the cards or the tea leaves or whatever it was at the time and he's a pretty common political practice on, yes about paranormal type practices type but anyway so it, it was a known fact that the that the uh, the Germans were launching multiple u-boats and ships off of yes. the Tierra del Fuego off of the of the, the uh, you know uh, uh, and after they discovered something uh, then they started sending ships with engineers and enormous amounts of resources and tunneling equipment and liquid uh, mercury yeah lots mm-hmm. of lots of bizarre uh, allocations you know to be so it was surmised that the Nazis had built an a, a, a base in Antarctica and at the end of World War II, Admiral Byrd um, created this uh, armada. And Admiral Byrd was, he was a hero at the time. He was a, a, an explorer and a, an aviator and a, a, a decorated war hero, um, the, the earliest, an admiral in the Navy. The, rear fast, the fastest to become a, an admiral in, in the United States history. He and, was... He had he had he had nothing but respect, and he had his reputation. And he had this unimpeachable character. And uh, so when he um, he he and dispatched Medal of Honor this winner. armada to um, I'm sorry, Chris, did you say something? Uh, and a Medal of Honor winner. And a Medal yes. of Honor. Oh, yes, so, yes. So, so basically, when you think about it, when when World War II ended, it ended around uh, what was it like around the summertime, early summertime of '45. So by 1947, February 1947, he had already organized this armada. This armada, and uh, he was tasked with destroying this Nazi base. Right. And uh, when he went to go destroy the Nazi base, um, this bizarre occurrence happened. Um, the armada was attacked by a bunch, a squadron of flying saucers that emerged from the ocean. 
and shot ray, a type of ray at the, um, the ships. They sank one of the destroyers of the Armada and downed half of Byrd's um, carrier-based aircraft, and they killed dozens of men. Then the, uh, the saucers dove back into the water, and at this point, the carrier group essentially turned tail and ran. They, were, uh, they had a six-month operation planned, and they ended it in retreat and defeat in uh, just two months. They went mm-hmm. back to Argentina, and then uh, Bird famously did an interview. Yes, with the press in Argentina, and he was quoted as saying that quote where, um, if, we, if there is another war, America can be attacked by a, um, a, foe. a foe that can uh, travel from pole to pole in lightning speed or, or, or mm. high, very high speed. Mm-hmm. And um, then he, later he went to Washington, was debriefed and muzzled <laughs> by Washington until his diary uh, posthumously was found by his son amongst his effects, where he... Uh, it makes sense. After he's attacked by this force, he he dispatches a plane and flies essentially into the underworld of the Ar- Ariani under the ice sheet and has this meeting. Um, they they fly past a, a giant green field where he sees a mammoth, a woolly mammoth, and in a distance he sees a crystal city. His plane is taken over, powered by um, these uh, flying saucers that that force his plane to land, and then he has this meeting. And we believe this meeting really took place, but um, he says it was at the North Pole, but he was at the South Pole at the time. I think he was just trying to obfuscate where the uh, uh, still trying to obey his his muzzling orders, and so he changed mm. it to the North Pole. But uh, mm. scholars believe he was talking about a, a meeting at the South Pole. Oh, they have pictures of him in many ways. Wasn't, yeah. he, wasn't his son famously, like, disappeared? And yeah, I was then just about to ask if... if wow, uh, he was dead somewhere, didn't he? Yeah, so I was about to ask Leslie and Stephen if they knew what had happened to his son, because he did. He died essentially as a vagrant, um, and right. they found his body in, in a warehouse, and... Um, he had essentially just disappeared one day after going on a train and they Sounds found suspicious him dead. for sure. You know, it, it is, it's incredibly suspicious about, about what happened to him. And you would think that for somebody who was the, the progeny of such a, such you know, a remarkable hero, person, yeah. right. That, <laughs> right. um, and for all intents and purposes, his son led a fairly normal life, but just randomly, you know, wound up this vagrant lost found dead in, in a, in a warehouse, somebody reported seeing him, you know, going in and out of there trying to get shelter for a while sort of makes no Mm -hmm. sense and seems really suspicious, you know, like he was trying to escape from something and maybe it caught up to him. That that's, that sounds like some CIA bull. It does sound like some CIA. Yeah. Yeah. We know of a few people that the, um, they, they murdered people to keep this, this secret. To keep yes. the, the people living oh, under yeah. the ground secret. The uh, one of the first members of Forrestal, right? One of the twelve, yeah. 12 original Majestic Twelve. Majestic Twelve supposedly supposedly jumped out of a, a bathroom window. Yeah, a very know, suspicious death. It was like uh, this yeah. ridiculous. Yes, uh, and I, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, he uh, he he was sitting late at night in a hospital room on mm-hmm. I, think at the, I believe it was the 14th floor mm-hmm. and he was right next to a giant picture window looking out over the city and um he uh was checked on by an orderly who said he was at his desk and just writing away normally 
And then about 15 minutes later, he supposedly jumps from the bathroom window, which is a very mm -hmm. small window. Uh, and he supposedly had his robe tie around his neck. It sounds incredibly suspicious because, you know, he was just sitting there uh, writing a few minutes before. And also, if he wanted to fling himself out of a window, there was this giant picture window right where he was sitting. And now There's you're no going to tell me all the cameras were off. Wide window <laughs> the guards in the bathroom, were asleep. You know? and <laughs> yeah, you, what was that, Chris? Sorry, I missed that. I said, and now you're going to tell me all the cameras were off and the guards were asleep. Yes, exactly. This was really 1940. Familiar. This was 1940. Right, no right. cameras, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Of course, yeah. it was just all, oh, the poor man committed suicide. Uh, right. well, one of the things better. I wanted to say about James Forrestal is that he was a, a notorious overworker um, and that he was always at his desk. Yeah. Staffers wrote about him being that person. Um, it ruined relationships he had with people and that essentially he'd been hospitalized a few times for like mental breakdowns because of right. – his his unwillingness essentially to stop working, I and mean, he just was mm. a workaholic supposedly. Um, and and apparently he also too wanted to come forward. He was mm -hmm. one of the few on the Majestic Twelve that said, you know, we we should actually come forward. He wanted to have more disclosure. Right. Like he, yes. want, he wanted uh, more transparency, mm -hmm. as we say today. Right. You know, so uh, yeah, and I was going to say that I think that it for somebody with his history, because I don't doubt that he was the worker he was. He wouldn't have arisen to the the place he. He wound up at eventually, right, without being that sort of worker. That sure. it's very easy to throw somebody like that again into, a, you know, a, a mental ward. Um, and, and there's all sorts of excuses to say, well, there's a precedent in the history for this. Um, but it is one of the most interesting, um, quote unquote, suicides. Um, and you guys referenced quite a few. I uh, wanted to talk about Phil Schneider and, and Pat Price oh, yes. as well. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. Uh, could before we talk about that, could you guys jump into the special operations manual, the Majestic Twelve special operations manual? Kind yes. of talk about that. <laughs> the, the Majestic Twelve. Um, first of all, they 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 were intent on um, hiding this mm -hmm. phenomenon from the public as as much as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. Whenever a sighting would take place um, at say a, a small town, they would dispatch these men in black to, mm. I know it's just like the movie, but the, the these men in black would show yeah. up and they would interview everyone and get mm -hmm. all of the information for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they would operate, they would instigate this operations manual. This manual was written to, as a way of suppressing these events. The first step is the ridicule. They would uh, start a ridicule campaign, making it all a big joke. Um, and, oh, ha, ha, these people are saying, oh, I'm a great man from outer space, you know, and uh, making fun of them in the press. And a lot of the people would just become silenced because of this this embarrassment. Yeah, of ostracization, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the stigma, exactly. Stigma, yes. And so um, then step two was to actually threaten them. They, they mm -hmm. would threaten their families and their lives, and they say, we'll kill you if you don't shut up. And if they still wouldn't shut up, then they would actually in, um, cause some sort of problem with the person. They would get them fired from their job, or they would get them ostracized in some other way. Tax there, would be, audits. there would be consequences, bizarre mm -hmm. consequences. And then in, if, they, if that also wouldn't work, then the final solution was to kill them. And we think mm -hmm. that it happened at least two or three times. That uh, One of the people you were talking about, uh, uh, Phil Schneider, mm -hmm. he uh, 
he was uh, integral, uh, integrally important to the Dulce information, the Dulce mm -hmm. Air Force Base. It's a, uh, it's supposedly an underground base that the first five levels underground are human. Mm -hmm. military base uh, but the two levels at the bottoms uh six and seven those levels are joint alien slash human military I've and read about we know this, this, is this in from, colorado uh, one of the security what was that sorry is this is this in colorado no is this is Force in new mexico, mexico. uh new the mexico. archuleta mesa in new mexico. Yes. I was thinking, yes. Chris, okay. yeah. but I, I have read about this this is have fascinating and, um, yes i have though there was a, a security guard that went under uh, he wasn't supposed to, but he went to the lower two lower levels, and what he found was um, a room full of about a hundred of these vats, and in these vats they were growing aliens or hybrid beings, hybrid um, human, hybrid alien human hybrids, and this is where we think they're taking the fetuses when they remove them from women. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but Professor Jacobs, of the 10,000 regressions he did, 1,100 were women that said that mm -hmm. they'd been abducted, impregnated, and then four months later they'd be abducted again and the fetus would be stolen. And you guys and then, feel like this is a, a, a breed us out tactic? Um, I think it might be more like they're trying to either reintegrate with us mm -hmm. or infiltrate us to get what mm -hmm. they want and mm -hmm. uh their, uh, their ultimate is goal so, is to, for us to denuclearize mm -hmm. this is so interesting to me because going throwing it back to the to the ancient texts there are so many examples in greek the chimera uh mm -hmm. i know in ancient um uh in the scriptures we have uh versions of this but the idea of like man mixed with something else to form some kind of like what we would call Native Americans. You have mm -hmm. the skinwalkers, uh, German, yes. uh, European, go. you have the, the werewolves, mm -hmm. right? It's so it's, it's so interesting. Like all of this stuff is, is kind of starting to like swirl together in. Yeah. It's, it's almost hard to, to divorce yourself from the idea that this all does like, it doesn't sound that crazy. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you can look in any book and right. find, like, a correlation to what you're talking about at this point to be like, well, that now it's like yeah. there, there's a there's a point somewhere that draws to this, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's crazy in some it sound, way. Is it is it less? Is it more crazy than that? They're coming here 10,000 times a year from mm -hmm. from, from uh, distant star systems. Uh, they're, they're, you know, UFOs are reported 10,000 times a year every year. Right. Going yeah. back maybe a thousand years, That's we don't, you right. know. <laughs> oh, you know, we talk about Sasquatch, you know, actually the oh, evidence I'm so glad Sasquatch you brought that up. Mountain. I wrote, I wrote Bigfoot in my, in my <laughs> notes right here. Cause yeah. I was like, I've got to ask about that. Yeah. The, the, the evidence for Sasquatch is pretty much it's, it's over except for the shouting. I mean, the, yes. the, the, and it's actually been the, the a genetic um, genome has been isolated uh, from hair samples and also water uh, there is an unknown primate in North America, and that's been proven genetically now. So we now know. And what we think Bigfoots are, remember we were saying that we think that they use genetic manipulation whenever they need to right. create something. We right. think that they, uh, the Australopithecus uh, robustus and also uh, 
Gigantopithecus. They were around 300,000 years ago when supposedly the Anunnaki were uplifting Homo erectus, right? right? Mm -hmm. So maybe they were experimenting with the other um, large ape creatures at the time and have created this race of giant ape beings that they can control. And maybe I think they use them as sentries. Well, one of the things to say, go ahead, Chris. Uh, well, this was going to be a question for uh, for Stephen, uh, being uh, kind of pulling your expertise into this because you were talking about genetic manipulation of of the species. You said po- there's a possibility that they use them for centuries. Do you think that Bigfoot, based on uh, all of the encounters, all the evidence that's presented for them, um, that they have the same type of like forebrain, the uh, same type of problem solving skills? that like a human has but in like is this the missing link as science as like evolutionary scientists would like to say or from your guys's worldview do you think this is an insertion and then talk maybe a little bit about from your scientific point of view about like how bigfoot thinks and moves and like are we seeing an intelligent creature on our level because it's like we still can't find his body Right, which is the thing that everybody always brings up. Well, show me a skeleton then. It's like, well... Yeah, okay. a couple things there. Supposedly, you know, with the big fires that California's been having and, you know, Oregon the last couple of seasons, apparently there was a... a whether it's true or not, haven't been able to verify it yet, but there was a, a crew of firemen that came across a an injured or partially burned uh, Bigfoot. And hmm. supposedly the U.S. government, they... They scooped it up and disappeared it. <laughs> and disappeared. Start Googling, so, guys. All right, so that's so that's one thing. But we know from the genetic sampling that, that there is a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch that is unknown. Uh, whether they have a neocortex like human beings have, which is the most advanced part of the human brain, which mm-hmm. is the most recent, and I, I'm not sure about that. It uh, doesn't seem like they have what's called Broca's brain, which... Um, um, so they wouldn't have the power of speech. So for the instance, power of you know. speech, but they do seem to have the power of using their eyes and certain types of telepathy. They're certainly not stupid, uh-huh. okay? And right. they they seem like they have a, a purpose. They care about their young. They don't. They're they're smart enough to try and not leave samples behind. Uh, they're definitely almost all over the world. So we know that there's a lot of them in in um, in uh, Alaska and the Great Northwest here. Right. So they. They are, uh, and they're, you know, whether they come from Gigantopithecus or Robustus, we're not really sure, but they hmm. certainly are not animals, that's for sure. We know that there are, cer- there are some of these uh, that bases that animals. we were talking about, military slash alien bases, two of which are in Alaska. Hmm. And then there's the ones uh, that we believe is in the underneath Mount Shasta, is another civilization mm-hmm. of uh, aliens living there. And we think... Um, in the uh, amount around uh, to in uh, India and Tibet on the border there, there's a, a lake called um, Rune Rune something or other, I'm sorry. There's a lake there that looks like it's filled with uh, skeletons, and people hmm. thought, oh well, maybe there was a war or a battle up here. And this is way high. This is up up like twelve. So it's very, very high elevation above the tree line. And this lake has got all these skeletons and they started testing, genetically testing these skeletons. And what they are is they are 
representatives from all different races and all different time periods. It's like when they come to this lake area, something bashes them on the head and throws the bodies in the lake. Got from from Scotland, from South America, from Germany, from China. Yeah, there's like this this mishmash of there. This you know hmm. English explorers. You know, (laughs) there's this mishmash of people in there from over a thousand year period of time. So what I'm getting at there is we think that the uh, the Yeti and the Bigfoot and the Bigfoots up in Alaska, we think they are sentries. protecting the entrances to these underground bases. Hmm. And I know it couldn't sound crazier, but uh, let's say I was a, I was a Lemurian living in uh, Mount Shasta and my job was Bigfoot Wrangler. And every night I send out 10 Bigfoots as sentries and also ex- just to give us information and ex- exploration. Security's of course, I one, have man. a tag on every one of these things, right? And so when one of them dies, I have a, um, a, locator. A, a locator that goes off, and then they go pick up the bodies. I know it sounds couldn't sound well, crazy. Actually, actually, some of the Bigfoot have been seen. Uh, <laughs> but Bigfoot's, with, yeah, have been, been seen, seen with UFOs, with UFOs yes. too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so we think there's a connection between them. I was – so that's a perfect segue. Brandon, I got one more question if you'd indulge me, and then I promise yeah. I'll bow out. But uh, something good. that is – very very uh interesting to me and brandon this is actually your fault he got me off on this kick is uh (laughs) disappearances in and around um like national parks and state parks in the united states there seems to be massive clusters of these disappearances where people go off into the woods and then they're just never seen from again and the vast majority of these stories are wild in that the person will have been seen within 10 minutes and it's usually mm-hmm. like hey i'm gonna bend over and tie my shoe or i'm gonna step off in the woods and yeah. take a leak or something and then a crevasse opens like and somebody grabs and them there's... and thrum, pulls well, them something, in something seems something like that happens <laughs> and they're never seen from again and these yes. clusters also seem to also cluster around bigfoot sightings and they also seem to cluster around ufo sightings these these three mm-hmm data points seem to overlap and there so i'd been, be very there, interested there on your guys take ones on that. too where there have been children in some of these areas in national mm-hmm. parks that uh will disappear for a while maybe a day or two or sometimes for years mm-hmm. and then they'll show up and again they'll come back yeah. and they'll talk about the fairy people those are the weirdest ones they were. les les stroud the famous like survivalist he actually went and essentially retraced the distance one of these children that you're talking about went missing and traverse that distance, um, essentially deciding that or determining that it would have been impossible for a toddler yeah. to do this and survive. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was really a really cool of, of Les Stroud to try and see if this is even possible first first off. But just um, the fact that you know that child was able to do that. And then you were talking about Bigfoot before um, with, with caring for their young. There's even other stories of children being abducted by Bigfoot and talking about, you know, like a bear taking them, but the way that the children talk about the bear, the bear would not behave that way or, yeah, or move that way. <laughs> right. Not a bear. Yeah. And they just don't know any better. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it seems to be for me, like this really interesting thing about, about Bigfoot is that um, every culture has a story about Bigfoot. If you look at, um, you know, like Bigfoot around like the Himalayas, you know, talk about like the Yeti, 
it matches yes. its environment. You know, Bigfoot in in the uh, Pacific Northwest matches its environment. So there's all this sort of like anecdotal evidence that it it's real as well. Because even as an if it was an animal, it's adaptable to to its environment. That's one right. of the, I, I think that is is cool about Bigfoot in that. You know, yeah, the Yahweh, they call them in, down in Australia, the same kind of thing. They, you know, the uh, or the skunk ape, mm-hmm. and you know, the southern, the, the south, southeast. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting how some of the Bigfoot actually stink, stink worse than others. <laughs> some you almost always say, well, I smelled the smell that was worse than a skunk, and mm-hmm. that's one thing that's always kind of uh, intrigued me as far as why they. Uh, they don't have the either either their natural pheromones are just so strong that's the way they smell, or they just don't care to bathe. I don't know <laughs> what the deal is there, but it could be like you know some people's pheromones are are so or species of, of, of animals are, are so strong that they literally will have a very strong strong scent, you know, just naturally. I was going to ask um, you. You said that they were able to isolate um, the gene or whatever and and prove that there was a unidentified primate. Yes. Um, were they able to, or did they, they disclose what the rhesus factor of that primate was? I mean, what, I mean, a, a positive or negative? Mm-hmm. I mean, like a B positive, you know, I haven't heard whether, I don't know. I have to look we that don't, up. we don't know about that. We do, we do know though, that, uh, with the water samplings they've been taking in, uh, in Oregon and in California that they've been pretty consistent. So they just haven't narrowed it down. As far as like the blood typing, as far as I know, well, I, I remember you guys writing in, about how um, there seemed to be a trend in people who are Rh negative yes. uh, being a, being abducted. What do you? That's what I was Hold wondering. On. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What? The Rh negative. I'm a negative. Is <laughs> no, 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 the Rh not, negative? You can be factor. a negative and Rh positive. Oh, sorry. So yeah, it's actually well, the a, Rh, a the mutation Rh factor in the human. Is the negative or positive part in your blood so you have a blood type which is the a b you either have the antigen there or you don't have the antigen. exactly so, yeah. so then you are you're either rh positive which would be the a positive or your right. rh negative type a yes. a neg one in so that's nine why, people now i'm really is, interested because uh, rh negative <laughs> hold on <laughs> yes and uh they t- they proportionately take Basque people more often than others, and the Basque people are, represent a fairly small uh, percentage of the population, and uh, they are proportionately have higher uh, Rh negative factors and uh, instances of green eyes. Green eyes are also a human mutation, and um, for whatever a, a reason, reset, they call it a recessive trait. For whatever reason, it's uh, it's part of their criteria of judgment when they are picking who they want to take. So if you're and, Irish and you're Rh negative. Like you're probably screwed. You're, so we're, we're, we're talking. Sure. We're talking about gingers <laughs> right now, right? Well, Is I want to say about? say too that I, I looked it up. You can be of a negative blood type and Rh positive. They are two different things. So just because yeah. you're Rh, just because you're A negative, doesn't mean that you can't be Rh positive. Um, no, I believe that if you're negative at all, you you do have the Rh negative uh, factor. This is let's not get um, hung up in the weeds, but we can we can talk about it later. But I'm I'm okay. Yeah, but anyway, um, there are mixes. We got more sophisticated. Yes, I've heard of that hmm. too. As I started researching the phenomenon and understanding that they weren't uh, taking just genetic samples from a cross section, they were focusing on a person uh, for many years. The way I saw it was they were, it's like a cow. Like when a farmer has a cow, he abducts the cow from the field every morning, takes it into the barn and removes a product he needs. 
and then he puts the cow back out in the field to make more of this product. It seemed like that that was what was happening to people, that they were actually harvesting a product that they needed, uh, Caucasian green-eyed Rh-negative DNA, for whatever reason, that was uh, what they were after. Um, not not exclusively, but just a higher proportionate uh, ratio. The kiss the kiss method, like in the military, keep it simple, stupid. So mm-hmm. when That's, I when I was talking about my the life cow, that way, it Steven. seems like they do tend to protect <laughs> their um, their abductees, but it's just like a farmer would protect his cow too. So uh, we do know that they will sometimes intervene um, in a family that's. Uh, that they particularly like the DNA of, they will take them again and again and again, generation after generation, and they will sometimes step in to help or save members of this family. And I think it's just because, it's not because they're benevolent necessarily, it's just that they like this particular product and they don't want to lose Protecting your But now it almost sounds like you guys are describing a guardian angel. Yes, I've had that happen. To, I've had that happen to me a few times in Steve's life. He's been I, I should have been dead several by times. Something bizarre, you know. Like and what? Uh, it, okay. I could talk, I could talk yeah. about that if uh, you know if you want. Yeah, yeah. And um, his yeah, family it happened to his yeah. uncle too. <laughs> yeah. Well, what my okay. First of all, my my uncle was in the RAF, and he was he was stationed in Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, just uh, post World War Two. And he was like in a sensitive area in your typical, you know, large tents that they had at the time, you know, you know, like 40 guys or so, whatever. And he was awakened in, in the middle of the night by this tall entity, he said it looked like a black man. And but he he'd heard about this old Glegley character that had appeared to different family members. So he immediately knew that it was. Uh, it was not like one of the uh, one of the natives, and this this entity said, "Douglas, you need to get up now because you're about to get killed. If you don't leave now, you're going to die." And he, he he said, "Okay," and th- then it disappeared right in front of him. He disappeared. <laughs> and he said, "Okay, I just saw something, and it's probably old likely, so I'm going to pay attention." So he got out of the tent, and then sure enough, they there a raid came through of some of the the local rebels and. And several guys were killed, either with machetes or knives. Get stabbed or, or and shot. Stabbed. You know, and my my are... uncle became a, a lifelong. He became a very wealthy man. Actually, he built a lot of uh, a lot of downtown uh, Palm Springs and that kind of stuff. So, anyways, he became a lifelong lifelong. He was interested in the whole phenomenon, the like phenomenon Uri, general, Uri yes. Geller and and different things like that. In fact, his his daughter's first car was a Triumph, and its uh, license plate was Oglegly. So, you know, my, my, the family took him very, very seriously. That was an instance where when he when he probably would have been killed, but they intervened. I had what happened to me on April Fool's Day, 1992. I was going, I was with my ex-wife at the time, and I went swimming. I went body surfing. And this is, uh, you know, this is uh, a, a few miles north of Malibu. So the water, April 1st in Pacific, is cold. Okay, so... I stupidly, you know, I wasn't in shape for swimming at the time, but I went out body surfing with a bunch of guys and I got a bit too far out there. And uh, I started to notice that the other guys were going in and my and my arms were starting to get tired. And I was getting really cold because the water was in the 50s, you know, and I didn't have any wetsuit on. I would just have my trunks on. So, so I start swimming into shore and against the current. If I and, and, a rip and I'm going yeah. nowhere. 
okay and oh, i'm going no. nowhere i'm making no yeah. progress and i'm thinking and my arms start to the only time ever in my life my arms start to feel like they're lead like i Dive literally left, cannot dude. move them anymore okay because they're so cold and i see this lifeguard and he's at least 100 to 125 feet away on the beach at the lifeguard tower and he's like flirting with like three pretty girls right and i said oh man i gotta get this guy's attention so so i yell help and then that didn't get his attention i yell help a little bit louder and then i just got whatever energy i had left i just yelled as loud as i could i got one of my arms up and then he saw me and then right after that right after he sees me i go down i'm down six feet i'm mm. the waves are coming in i'm down six feet i'm thinking i'm dead and i start to see the light you know the sun's light think oh I'm going to I'm going to take my last breath and I'm just thinking, oh, this isn't going to be so bad. You know, I'm going to die. And this guy, I swear to God, how he how he covered 100 to 125 feet in two seconds is beyond me. And he found me. He literally reached down. He knew exactly where my arm was, reached down six feet, four to six feet. And he got me. And then he put me in the uh, in the in the lifeguard uh you know, crawl position, kind of choke hold you know, chokehold things. Yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Just relax, sir. You're going to be okay. And he pulled me in and I was just completely exhausted. My ex-wife wasn't sympathetic at all. I could still barely move my Typical. arms, you hence, know, hence I, the ex I could barely move my arms. And I, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to like thank this guy. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, you know, you know, I almost died. This guy saved me from dying. Right. You think he'd be staying around. Right. But I want to look around. And guy's he, gone. He had disappeared. Just, just totally disappeared. Mm. And that's one of a couple Weird. that I could tell you about. And it's a huge, long beach. You can see, you know, a just mile gone. in every direction. And he was, he was just nowhere. Plus the fact, even Michael Phelps couldn't have got out that fast. Usain <laughs> Bolt couldn't have gone out that fast. So we it's do like, see instances where they seem to, yeah, protect the family. Um, at the same time, and so when you were asking before, are they benevolent? Yes, sometimes they help people, but we think it's not for out of the goodness of their heart, but more sort of out a of selfish the, act uh, to keep the it going. Selfish act on their yeah, part. Yeah, you have a prize horse that's yeah, keeping their, their prize cow alive. <laughs> right. If if I, if I if I can, uh, and I'm going to ask this as as gently as I can, um, from a genuine place, but say that there was somebody that was just like. No, you guys are full of crap. Sure. You know, it's like everything that you're saying. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you've dealt with this, right? There's uh, one in every, yeah. There's, <laughs> we right, need a sure, lot of them, sure. Yes. Uh, and, and you guys have, have alluded to it a lot tonight as, as we've been talking. And it's like, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm, you know, and, and I truly believe that, that people are seeing things and that they're really experiencing things. I myself have had experiences that I don't genuinely or generally share with people because it's like, that would make me sound nuts, you know, in the, in the paranormal um brandon we might be able to talk about it someday but you know as I, there, there there are things and i've experienced things and, and i know that it happens um but you guys are familiar with the concept of confirmation bias right and so the the idea is i see what i expect to see and it mm -hmm. confirms the the thing that i already right. think that it's going to be and so i know steven you talked about you said that your family kind of brought you up believing these things and telling you about them. And my uncle told me about his experiences and so on and so forth. And, and Leslie, you heard Steven's stories you said before you had your first experiences. So, yes. 
say there was a person that's like a, a true skeptic that's just like you guys are just seeing the things that you expect to see because of the way that you were raised or the things that you expected to see before. And what would you say to them? What, what would you say about that? Well, I, I certainly didn't expect to see the UFO, my first UFO. Well, okay. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this. Okay. Okay. All right. One thing we haven't covered that was also in the book that Chris isn't familiar with at all. Which I am going to read after I'm... this, by the way, after this conversation, I'm going to read that. Gonna read it? Okay. <laughs> I will read it. You've gained a customer hundred okay. percent. All right. When I was, when I was 18, this was one of those times when we had a bunch of stuff happening that my dad, my sister and I were all experiencing either together or separately at this house that we lived in in Fallbrook Avenue. Anyway, I got so freaked out by the things that were happening that this particular night, I decided to sleep in the living room in my work clothes. I was a cabinet maker at the time with my dad. So I was working physically all the time, teaching, studying Tai Chi, and this, I was very, very healthy. And so I, was, I woke up at about six o'clock in the morning. This is again, January. So it was dark. And I looked at my piano, thinking about what piano music I was going to play that day. And I listened to a little fountain in the other room and I was awake. And from behind me, uh, about 25 feet from behind me, there was the front door. And this entity, this blue-white light, this blue-white entity, about six to seven feet tall, kind of walked but kind of glided. It's almost like when it, it noticed that I, when I noticed that I was awake, it decided to intervene. So what it did, it, it floated towards me in about a second to two seconds, and the whole room became filled with this blue-white light. And it stopped by my right side, and my whole right side of my body became numb. Numb from the standpoint I couldn't move it. Not in a scary way, but it was just basically I was immobilized. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to see the family spirit guide, Old Glegley. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to see Old Glegley. Yeah. You know, I'd be one of the few that's seen him, right? But, but my other part of my body was saying, hey, dude, you can't move, you know. And as it bent down to me, it whispered in my ear, hi, in this feminine, wasn't feminine, wasn't masculine, but it was whispered wow. in my ear. It wasn't inside my head. It was in my ear. And I was like, I was wanting to look. I said, I can see what you look like, but I want to see your face, you know. And it, it stayed there for about maybe 10 or 15 seconds, and then it left. And to this day, I can't remember if I went and told my dad about what that what had just happened. An, he, another he had he had he had memory. weird things happening too at the same time. My sister didn't want to have anything to do with it at the time. Now she's a ghost hunter, but <laughs> at the time she was like a born again Christian. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. So oh, anyway, no. six hours later, I'm uh, it's eleven thirty, and I want to get some lunch. So I decide to find out what kind of money I have. So I reached in my right hand side pocket. And I pulled out all the coins that I had, and swear to God, all these are standard American coins from 1979. All the coins are sticking to each other. Magnetized. They're magnetized. And that's supposed to be impossible because U.S. coins are designed specifically so they can't be magnetized. Not magnetic metal. metal. We all know that. Yep. Physical, physical evidence. Physical, actual. Uh, uh, close encounter of the fourth kind. I was actually, I was actually, uh, you know, uh contacted and i was affected physically 
and and uh, this was six hours after the event. Okay. And the amount of electromagnetic it's radiation in the book, by that the way. would mm-hmm. have had to been exposed yep. to to magnetize it, the coins. I'm gonna read it. I promise. It makes sense that he would be paralyzed because we're okay. electromagnetic beings, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're electric creatures, and so exposed to that much current, we think he just that's what uh, paralyzed him. You know. Were you familiar um, with uh, Diana Pasolka's work by any chance? That sounds familiar. No, uh, not that I can think. What has she written? So um, her most recent book is called Encounters, but the one that came out a few years ago is called American Cosmic. Uh, but she's a professor of oh, religion yes. at um, University of North Carolina at Wilmington. But um, essentially, her entire body of work it discusses a lot of what you guys were talking about, where. Um, there's this folklore and you're kind of attributing some of it to what people now would call like alien contact, you know, um, UAPs. But specifically, she focuses on it um, from a religious standpoint. And um, so she talks about um, people that have since been venerated as saints and that these experiences they've had where, like you discussed before with the the flood myth, right? Um, They're contacted by something that gave them information that helped them out and, you know, Noah built the ark or whatever. Um, But um, people that have been venerated as saints have had similar experiences where beings have come to them and passed on knowledge and, and given them health. And um, they also describe essentially a lot of these beings as glowing or people who observed, um, you know, these saints now uh, in their chambers praying or that they were having an experience that they were also were glowing. Um, and then also that the, the shroud of Turin, I know that it for a long time was assumed to essentially be a fake, but now there's a lot of evidence kind of pointing at it being uh, real. Um, but that is uh, sort of the one of the hypotheses on why that imprint happened the way it did. The full body imprint that's seen in the Shroud of Turin is that it was an exposure to a high amount of, of radiation, essentially. Some kind of radiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Uh, Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. His face was said to have been glowing. Right. Jesus uh, stands before the two prophets in in the garden, and mm-hmm. uh, they tell him how he's going to die. He comes back, and his face is is yes. glowing there's there's so many and examples the, of it the through reference you made scripture. earlier about the uh the watchers and the, the uh, shining the ones. shining ones they mm-hmm. were called uh yeah. the ones yeah. reading uh, creating nephilim I, i've got something interesting to interject here i just remembered uh one of our friends used to do uh, body harmony it's a it's a practice where you do massage technique but also you do like rainy raising the kundalini energy and a lot of energy Mm -hmm. work and when 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 groups of them would get together they get this like fine powder that would kind of um form over their bodies and it wasn't sugar it was monoatomic earth Earth elements elements, which uh, were also found were also also found outside of the uh the sarcophagi in the king's chamber of the uh, Great Pyramid. Of the Great Pyramid. There's all this powder all around. There are and... monoatomic earth elements, yeah. which are very, which are, it's very curious that, and also too, you know, there are references to when, when Moses was, I mean, when Noah was born, right? He was like. Yes, he was a shining baby too. He, he had, shining mm-hmm. supposedly when his eyes were open, it would actually light up the room and uh, yes. yeah, he, his skin and face would glow. We think that, um, there are there is a correlation between what the U the uh, aliens are after, and psychic ability. We mm-hmm. found like Steve's family is they're a very psychic bunch. His mm-hmm. uh, 
three generations of automatic writing and mm. uh, spirit guide talking to. And uh, Stephen uh, is an incredibly uh, telepathic person. He's constantly pulling sentences, whole sentences and, and words out of my head, you know. Even um, words that don't exist sometimes. Yeah, even uh, just the other oh. day I was feeling kind of stiff and I was I was looking for the words saying, yeah, I wonder if detorpify is a word. I was just thinking it. And he said, are you feeling like, like you need to detorpify or something? He pulled it like right yeah. out of my mind again, you know. This uh, And this happens all the time. But what we discovered when Stephen and I um, began doing the kind of kundalini raising energy work that uh, where you, you go into deep meditation and you chant to open up the chakras and you become more spiritually oriented. And um, as we did this work, we found that these kinds of abilities uh, were growing in us. Stephen's became more and more telepathic. And I, I, I used to have a uh, power, I guess, I, when I was a child, nobody could lie to me. I was a little human lie detector. I could mm. feel a truth versus a lie, almost like an energy against my aura. And mm. that, that um, it faded away as I became an adult. But when I was doing this work, it, it came back. And then also she started hearing of clear audience. Yeah, you know, when hearing into mm-hmm. the astral realm. And so yeah. uh, we... We began to astral project a lot, too. I believe that these are human characteristics of abilities that the aliens still have because they never gave up the practice of Mm -hmm. keeping the chakras open. That's why they can communicate with us telepathically. And this this relationship to us, I believe, is the reason they're able to breed with us. Uh, sometimes uh, I've heard people say, well, are they using genetic uh, manipulation to um, impregnate women when they take them? Frequently, that is the case. But more often than not, the women are actually having sex. And if they're having sex with us and creating children by having sex with us, they must be the same species. It can't be. I I can see some genetic modification of uh, creating hybrid beings. with, uh, you know, test tube genetics, uh, modification, you know, and, and in, uh, in vitro uh, fertilization. But frequently the women are describing sex and mm. getting pregnant from it. And if they are that close to us, I mean, if they are able to breed with us, they must be the same species. And then there was the hair of the alien. That was a very interesting thing. Um, a man in Australia woke up to being finding himself paralyzed um, and a hybrid alien woman was straddling his body mm. and she she was uh, white haired with very large hot? eyes and pointy chin and and uh, cheekbones um, and she put a hand on her stomach and then pointed up to the sky and there was another woman in the room who was looked a little bit more Asian he thought. But the, these women have sex with him uh, while he's paralyzed. Lucky guy. <laughs> and uh, then in the morning Thank when you, he awakened, Steve. he found you, a <laughs> white. <laughs> he found a white hair in the bed, and uh, under the magnification, it turned out to be a clear hair, like mm. fishing line, and um, it genetically tested as human, but very bizarre. It was Basque. Gaelic, 
and uh, part Chinese DNA from a, a section of China where there are only 1% of the population. It's, a, it's kind of a rare Chinese DNA. So they're testing as human, but this hair is not from a surface-dwelling human being. And we don't have zero... clear filament hair. What, and has zero that, pigment. Has zero pigment whatsoever. Exactly. Like right. zero, zero melanin. Pigment. Zero. Yeah, that's that's strange. And we have white hair. Albinos have white hair, but right. no one, Not nobody on the planet has clear hair. I can tell you about uh, before we run out of time here. <laughs> being as we're kind of going down this uh, this route right now, I should uh, mention something that I didn't disclose in the book. We didn't disclose mm. when I was. Uh, this is when I had just been. I've been through boot camp. I was in my my second year of uh, of my my of my six years that I did. A lot of it was was reserve duty, but anyway. And where so where I, did you serve, Steve? Who who did you serve with? I served with the, uh, with the Navy. I was a CB. Oh no, I was a builder. Oh, a CB though. Okay, CB. Yeah, cool. you know, you know, like love the, my CBs. John Wayne, the fighting CBs. You know. Yeah, I we love the CBs. a lot with the Marines. Well, I'm so, I'm John so. Wayne with the Green Berets, so we have that okay. in common. We have the Duke in common. Yeah, okay. I noticed they like the CBs best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we, we do love our CBs. Yeah, the Marines, the Marines and the CBs get along a lot better than the than the regular. They have to go in with the first, uh, the first. We have to set up the uh, you know, the tarmac and that kind of yeah, stuff. The, yeah, the, 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 the Brand is so. Brandon's just an Air Force guy. He didn't know yeah. about these things. <laughs> man. Hard work and oh. yeah. They're yeah, really never. smart. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brandon's hard work highest... is like, where's the coffee pot, man? How far away? <laughs> oh, highest, man. As, highest ASVAB for the for the Air Force Air Force then it's in the It is true. They are smart. Smarter than yeah. us. Well, I like to so, remind a lot of the uh the other branches that not people like, you know, like Chris, right? But uh that I probably shot more guns and uh fired uh spent more time on duty carrying a gun than than a lot of people. So he probably has. But, yeah. So anyway, I was I was twenty two. <laughs> I'll just tell this. This is like only a five minute story, but it's it's no, something good. that really really lends lends my belief to what human beings can do. Okay, so at twenty two, uh, I was uh, doing Tai Chi every day, and I was studying Paramahansa Yogananda's work, and I was either working physically or running or doing Tai Chi, and I didn't have a girlfriend and i was like not pleasuring myself it's really rare okay, so anyway really so i was you didn't was have a girlfriend because you were doing tai chi steve yeah well i was i, I really <laughs> believed the thing about retaining the the jing as they call it in chinese medicine yeah, anyway yeah for sure so this, this was december 26th this was um you know the day after christmas and i was at the house that my my parents and i were building up in sonora california and at that time in my life i preferred sleeping on the floor okay I disliked it felt better Very stoic. To me. you know it was just because I was like 155 pounds almost all muscle and just you know just I liked sleeping on the floor so I read this little book called um, Metaphysical Medi- Meditations by Paramahansa Yogananda and I read the Christmas meditation about 11:30 at night put it aside put a blanket over myself went to sleep then I woke up about 4 it was actually 4:45 in the morning I know it was because I saw the VCR clock that said 4:45, and I was I felt very very relaxed, and I just for some reason I thought about God's love, and not being a particularly religious person, I just thought about God's love, and I remember feeling the thought in my brain and thinking the thought in my heart, and it was like these two points came together at my third eye, and from swear to God, 
from like a billion miles away, this inverted pyramid of blue-white intense light came, hit me right in my third eye, and encased me in a cocoon of blue-white energy. And I thought, I, I don't know what to say. It's like I had this one, you know, the Zen talk about having one pure thought without anything else, just having the one pure thought, which is mostly the hardest and the easiest thing to do at the same time. And I just happened to happened to happen to happen to uh, happen to me either by design or by accident then i understood right then two things either i need to quit the military and go to tibet <laughs> and ditch my family and become you know a llama a yogi <laughs> a yogi or i need to continue uh you know helping my family to build this house and not ditch not become not go awol so i decided <laughs> not to go awol Good but call. But yeah, the uh, but the funny thing is, about five or six months later, I was with my father, and we were going to install a job at the Sports Connection, some cabinets we had built, and I was thumbing through a uh, a uh, Psychology Today magazine, the back-to-back -back advertisements, and just passing the time in, in the truck, and I came across this advertisement for the Rosicrucians, which I'm not a Rosicrucian, by the way. Mm. Um, it shows this, it had this picture of a guy laying on a stone tablet with this multicolored inverted pyramid of energy coming down, hitting him in his third eye and coming and closing him encasing, in encasing him in a, in a cocoon and saying, you can attain enlightenment via the Rosicrucians. So it was, I, I showed my dad cause I told him what happened and he said, you won't believe this. This is dad. exactly like what happened. This happened to me six months, <laughs> six months before, but mine was, mine was pure blue white. It wasn't multicolored, like tiered, like the one they show, but I, it blew my mind when I saw that. <laughs> I said, oh my God, you know, it's one of these things that happened. Uh, and I think part of like the, uh, with, with the aliens or our cousins, I think it has to do too with the purity of the soul and the, and, and the youth. And the age, maybe, as far as it may be easier for them to uh, contact us or maybe be even just be more interested in us. Yes, we um, think that it's one of the criteria of choice for so picking, I, so, picking who they would yeah, take. So in other words, my point is that I know now why these why these holy men and why like these they will sit for eight or ten hours a day in a lotus position with smiles on their faces because they're channeling this kind of energy yeah even though yeah. they're in a diaper on a freezing cold mountain yeah they're still happy well, and smiling. And i know <laughs> that that happens and to even me. even even some of the more uh disciplined sects of christianity still believe in solitude and confinement in order to study the scriptures so that they can also get closer to god my okay i know brandon I lied. Okay, my real last question, Stephen and Leslie, life after death, yes or no? Yes. After humans die. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we yes. definitely believe in, in uh, you know, reincarnation. When, when oh, um, okay. I was first studying this, uh, the chakra opening work and started astral projecting, that's when I realized that um, if you have a soul that can separate from your body and go traveling, that means that you have a soul. And, yes. uh, <laughs> and once so I realized that, that I have a soul, because I... I wasn't sure before, once I realized I had one, I found it very comforting because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you don't go, it doesn't just go black afterwards. Uh, there's there's right. definitely a life after. Would you mind so, if I if I, I mentioned the book at this stage? Oh, I hadn't, we didn't no, talk no. about the name we, of it, I don't it's, think. It's flipped. 
It's uh, who <laughs> they are and what they're up to by Leslie and Steve Brandon. And you gotta, you gotta, to get you gotta, a plug uh, in no. on it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta edit edit this later, so I'm holding one too. <laughs> yes, you got it. <laughs> and um, it's available on Amazon and Ingram for bookstores. Prefer Ingram, I know. And it's also in a in a Kindle format, and of course, e and then and paperback. And we um, we also are have got a Instagram page going where we're mm-hmm. um, making putting a lot of Steve's and stories um, uh, one at a time uh, up on the um, uh, posting and reels and also uh, trying to um, w- when people approach us about their experiences we'll make videos of their their experiences. One woman came to us with these videos on or with orbs flying all around her house and. Uh, an entity, a purple glob entity that it could actually speak to her. And uh, so we put that on the videos and uh, we're doing more. And that Instagram uh, handle is at leslie.shaw.author. And our Facebook is the same. And we also have a website. It's uh, whotheyarebook.com. And we have blogs and excerpts uh, there, and also any podcasts we do. Yes. That, that they, you guys will send us a link, and we'll we'll make a a, a podcast Absolutely. link to it as you well. Guys, you guys got to make me a deal. Can can we make a deal right now? Okay. If you ever if you ever do an audio book, mm-hmm. I I have a certain proclivity for the microphone. Oh, I would do love you? To, I would <laughs> love to read your book for for the audio book if you ever want to put it out. I was thinking about reading it myself. Oh no! I know. That's a project. That's a project we're we're still we're still thinking about. Still doing. thinking so, about. We we're yeah. thinking about our second book anyway, right now. So yeah. Oh man, you're already on number two. Yeah. Let me. Let me. Yes. I want to hear uh, what your idea for your second book is, and then I want to say something about um what you were talking about before, Steve. Sure. Well, um, we wanted to go into our theories about Bigfoot, uh, particularly nice. in the second book. And also, just to make our theories clearer, um, one thing as a journalist, you want you're, you're striving for clarity. Mm-hmm. And um, ever since we put out the book, there's been new evidence that's come forward. And whenever we get new evidence, we throw it up against our theories to see if our theories still hold. And sure. so far, so good. Uh, it, it explains a lot. It explains why they're seen 10,000 times a year. It explains why they're abducting people. Their motivations. It explains mm-hmm. why they're interbreeding with us, why they're watching our military and uh, dogging our um, our nuclear capabilities every step we take. Um, they're right there watching us and, and keeping track of us. It explains the incidents with Admiral Byrd. It explains the uh, underground bases where, yeah. like Phil Schneider saw, uh, he was the one at the Dulce base where... Uh, he was killed later because what happened was is he was an engineer and he took down a wall and on the other side of the wall were a bunch of gray aliens and there were uh, soldiers with him and they ended up having a firefight between them. And as the story goes, as the story goes, I think I think Brandon wanted to ask me one more last question. Oh have- no, this I, I'm I'm glad to hear because this is a I wanted to have you kind of elaborate a little bit more about the Dulce. Um, incident because i know you referenced it in your book but yes it's 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 really good interesting list to listen to it's poor it was a very sad story really he he um he he was injured in the firefight he had two fingers mm-hmm. blown off mm-hmm. and uh he said he saw the, the the wall came down and on the other side were the tall kind of gray aliens and also some reti- reptilians and um one of the reasons we think that they're all 
inter di different breeds of the same creature and the Nordics are in charge is because we see the Nordics working with the greys and the mm -hmm. greys working with the reptilians. These are not like, they're not like separate races. Uh, mm -hmm. They're actually inter, they're, they're um, working together on projects uh, and, and frequently. Phil, and Phil Schneider was one of these guys that was coming forward with information and he just would not shut would up not about it. Quiet. And mm -hmm. he ended up uh, being found dead with a, a rubber hose wrapped around. Supposedly he strangled himself with a rubber himself hose suicide. wrapped around his throat, which is a bizarre. Really, really dumb, know? really dumb way to, to strangle yourself. No, but it would, yeah. it would be a perfect way of well, murdering. Pass somebody. out first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Right. Well, I have. Um, Two Hello. two things I wanted to, to hit you with. Steve, first off, um, what you're talking about before, the experience that you had, one of the mm -hmm. things that I've noticed the the more I've done this podcast is that there's sort of a way to to like download knowledge and, and channel that information from uh, everything that I, people that I've read about or, or listened to people like you guys talk about this, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, when you think about Abduct, alien abduction or like contact with, with aliens. Um, you, know, you talked about how a lot of it happens at night when we dream as well, right? And in your, when you yes. dream, your your brain releases all these different chemicals, um, and and you that's why you dream and have have these these crazy experiences. And perhaps you're more open to that when that when that happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing too is you look at people who are very um, good at what they do, perhaps, or um, these people who are, who are brilliant. They seem to be very rare. I talked about this on the last episode with Chris. So I mentioned like Jimi Hendrix reference the electric church and talking about sort of uh, <laughs> downloading that information he had. And then um, another person I like talking about a lot as well as Jack Parsons, who you guys are probably familiar with, with Jack uh -huh. Parsons. Um, Eric but Clapton that, too. Eric Clapton, <laughs> a lot of these guys, right? So maybe what you would call for like an artist like Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix, you're talking about is the muse hey, and getting, I know getting... exactly where you're going with this. I Do know you? exactly. I've, yeah. I've had that experience happen to me when I was playing Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. Two on the accordion. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I was that in is a concert. beautiful was piece of music, sir. That is yeah. a it's beautiful one of the piece of music. Play, but I, I was, uh, I was barely, I was barely 22. I was almost 23, and I played this in concert. And I had to have a glass of wine before I played it because <laughs> I just was kind of a little bit nervous. I had been right. doing. It was the stupidest thing. I was doing my 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 weekend duty with the Navy, and I was hanging a drop ceiling. And I was using a framing hammer, and my left hand was just like toast. And I said, "I'm now. I got to now. I got to go and play." You and know, that's your from key memory, hand, right? The for the Hungarian Rhapsody number two. So anyway, mm -hmm. so that's your key hand for the. For I, the I got, if I remember correct, right? Like right, you, right you got is, your right hand is the key hand, yeah. but the left oh, hand is right the hand button. key is is the buttons. Okay. So, but anyways, yeah. I had this experience in what I call the front nine of that piece, which is the really pretty part. Um, that I was literally out of my body. Yeah, I felt like I was like what Eric Clapton would talk about that he wasn't playing anymore, but he was watching himself exactly. playing. Yeah, and I realized at that point, right before I got to the second half, said, "Oh my God, I'm I'm here on on a stage." And then I got I went back in my body, mm -hmm. and then I I finished up the piece. But it was I had but, that experience. I've had a couple I always, times in my life. That's I always exactly what it, I was talking I always, about. I always I called it, it was, the yeah. zone. So yeah, I, I'm a guitar I, I'm a guitar player by trade, but I also mm -hmm. grew up playing woodwinds. Uh, I started sir just like you on the E flat alto. Uh, went to the B flat tenor and then the B flat uh, soprano. And then after I got out of the woodwinds, I went over to the strings and then I started picking up the strings. And then my band teacher came to me and he said, "Hey, you should probably actually learn music theory." 
And then once I learned music theory, it just spiderwebbed for me. And then ever and then just like you talked about, it was like if I can pick it up and I'm like, if you can show me a bass line on that instrument, I can I can make it make music because I understand music theory and then it just like spider webbed, right? Right. Like so, I, when I when I started learning the guitar, this regular six string uh, nylon exactly. guitar. I learned I learned tab. Tablature was so easy for me to learn. It was it was easy. It was like second, exactly. You know, second nature. And and then I remember there was uh my my uh senior year I was marching and my band teacher came to me and he said, Hey, uh I need a lead trumpeteer and I was like Mr. Female, if you ever see this, Mr. Female, I was like, I've never played trumpet before. He goes, well, I need a trumpeteer. And I was like, okay. So I spent basically the weekend like buzzing into a cup, figuring it out. And then I learned, you know, the three basic positions and then blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, that's B flat steel. (laughs) And then I was off to the races and I was like, well, and within, within two weeks I could play brass. Right. And so I was like, I was that guy. So I, I know exactly what in, you're talking in, about in fact, and i yeah go ahead in, in fact in fact uh when i went when they when they still had a, a navy uh boot camp down in san diego i yeah. was in the drum and bugle corps i, I was right. given the good advice they spend an extra week and a half but you get better you get better duty i so wish anyways, i would have uh, for the army but so, nobody so ever came, told me so that. when it came down <laughs> to being drum and bugle corps i think well what instrument i going to play and they had a couple glockenspiels, um, the big hmm. old glockenspiels that were hanging around, which is basically a keyboard, right? I right. never and played if you, it. And if you can play piano, yeah. you can yeah. play a glockenspiel because so it's laid I, out I, in the I learned, I learned yep. the whole thing in like a day. I memorized the pieces, <laughs> and and then I, you know, I was the I was the glockenspiel guy. But you know, I was like, I was I was toying around with thinking about like you know picking up the trumpet. But you know, there are other other people that already knew how to play the trumpet, but nobody wanted right. to play glockenspiel. So I'll do it. You know, right. so oh, no, it's it just. Yeah, go ahead, man. No, I was just gonna say, talking, uh, getting back to like the the whole like muse thing and and kind of leaving your body and going to that spot. There are a lot of other people, um, not just musicians that that do that. Do you think that the the downloading of like that that information, like um, going to the place where you're getting this experience is happening through you, the music is happening through you, the math is happening through you, the physics is happening mm-hmm. through you. Do you think that that's sort of that consciousness that um, these alien aliens are using as well um, to communicate to us. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, we have it in the book about the, uh, about the, the, the uh, guy from India mm-hmm. in the 1920s who would, he would go to this temple and there was the, uh, I don't think we did put it in the book, but uh, Ram- Ramanajan, whatever. Ra- right, yeah. Right. Ramanajan. He's he, basically, he basically was writing down that. string theory before Einstein even entertaining the string theory. Mm-hmm. And he said he would, he would kind of go he'd meditate there. And this entity this would come through him, this goddess the, the, and would, and he'd write down these equations, these high end equations that were still quite, understand to this day so i think if you get the brain down to like a theta wave state like mm-hmm. about like five to about five cycles per second or maybe even just into an alpha like around seven to eleven you definitely change your ability to encode information i think that you know for yes. instance like reading a book i think that all children all people should be taught to read books before they start playing on computers mm-hmm. because right now we're like in beta wave we're in beta get wave right now. Get the kids off screens, Steve. Get the well, kids <laughs> off screens. One, one of the things in their hands. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one of the man, things I was going to say with 
with it is is what you're talking about. The I don't think you guys did put that in your book with the string theory thing. Um, like going back to Jack Parsons, kind of said the same thing. He would do these rituals where he would get information given to him, where he learned how to do the physics for for rocketry. Um, right. But uh, I um, think the Akashic record is um, mm-hmm. actually a, a a source of knowledge that's being broadcast out there. And I actually have a theory about it. I I, I theorize that. Uh, the people under the under the ground who are our superiors in both uh, spiritual uh, accomplishments and also in technological accomplishments, I think they looked at the surface people and lo- realized that they had an enormous problem. They have an um, an enormous problem because they have a huge population of barbarians living above their heads that are. Um, well, just kind of dense, too barbaric. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think what happened with the Akashic Record is that on a psychic channel, they're broadcasting knowledge mm-hmm. and um, trying to raise us up from being quite so barbaric. Uh, yep. And it's well, I think that's why sometimes there would be the same uh, invention on different parts of the world. Simultaneous. At the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a book about that simultaneous like, like pyramids like. But I think it's actually coming from them on a psychic brainwave that um, sometimes people can pick it up and sometimes they can't. But well, what it's I was... the more open people uh, exactly. you know, who have been working on their chakras and opening mm-hmm. their chakras who are more um, uh, accessible to it, who have more yeah. accessibility to it. Definitely. You know, and I was gonna... I'm, 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 I'm getting a Charlie horse in my leg. I have to stand up for okay. a minute. I'm I'll, sorry. I'll, uh, I'll finish, finish my point. And then, like I said, I have just one more question and we can, we can let you guys go. But Steve, okay. um, one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of these, these people we are talking about that are like the greats, they separate themselves from, from others and, and their lines of work is they have these protocols they do every single day. Right. And it, Perhaps like you, you mentioned you you did Tai Chi and you were very into yes. getting into meditation and that protocol of putting your mind in that one state all the time. That perhaps there is something to be said for those protocols where your brain is getting into that different brain um, brainwave length that you're able to open yourself up more more for that. And that's why you know people. This is a difference between greatness and just being good, maybe. Absolutely. I think there, there is no question, you know, for the continuity of consciousness or just basically having if you have a, a ritual, rituals are really important, whether mm-hmm. it be chanting, whether it be doing something. It's like they say in music that you don't really you don't really become a master until you put in the 10,000 hours of practice. It's kind of like that magic 10,000 hour mark. Yeah. Okay. If you want to really ten thousand hours, Steve, yes, 10, I know about it. I think rituals help focus the mind. Yeah, and they and be, like that's yes. I, I'm really really uh, big upon uh, children learning how to read from a book because it slows down the brain waves. You actually with the tactile holding a book, the tactile, you have to encode the information. You actually you're not just like skimming over it like speed reading off of a screen. Off of the screen, it means nothing um, to a kid. It ba- and also too. If you don't learn how to slow the brain waves down, you can't mm-hmm. get into an alpha state. It disturbs your sleep. You're a lot more anxious. You're a lot more depressed. Mm-hmm. It can even and lead that's to what we're madness. Seeing. You know, it can we're lead seeing. to schizophrenia and madness. We're seeing uh, people have over-amped brains too early, and they just basically go nuts. And you can't just give people Xanax all the time. Mm-mm. Yes, you can. <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they try well, that with you. A lot yeah, of little you, boys in the you, '90s, but giving them uh, Ritalin and all kinds of stuff. But 
Uh, yeah. Those are amphetamines, and that's another you know problem no, the cure, There is a cure for riddle in. Riddle, riddle out. out. It's called riddle out. Yeah. <laughs> riddle out. That. Hold on, Steve. I'm writing that down. Hold on, Steve. <laughs> well, my last question for you guys is: um, you you briefly mentioned the Men in Black, but my question to you is: Has anybody approached you guys um, from maybe a threatening standpoint and said, "Hey, you know"? you're flying too close to the sun here. You had any sort of experience with somebody who um, kind of tried to intimidate you into stopping doing what you're doing? Well, when we were up in uh, Murrow Bay this past summer, we had this hmm. kind of a weird kind of tall guy with the dark glasses. And Aviators. He is, yeah, mm-hmm. Avita, and he was, he was, he's had like this intense look and say, you know, you guys are on the you guys are on the right track here. You know, keep doing what you're doing. You wouldn't really be very clear about it, but it was like it was it was something about him that was saying that you know you're you're you you're got it pretty much right. And, and hmm. it, he definitely gave me the impression that he was from the government and kind of checking us out to see what we knew. And, uh, but he did. He he turned around and said, "Yeah, you guys, you know what's going on." And like so like. Well, who are you? It was a little strange, but we we haven't had any 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 knocks on the door yet. The second yeah, nobody's kicked in the door. Yeah, we haven't had we haven't changed our story because we haven't gone we haven't been intimidated to that level. Yeah, I think if our if our book becomes more widely disseminated and if we are on the right track, there there may be some point at some point we may be approached to. I got uh, What we find is that they're pressured to refute their work. Sometimes people are okay. I gotta, I gotta bring it up as we're landing the plane here. This <laughs> past year, I know we're heading into a presidential election. I know everything is getting weird. But the didn't the government just say that UAPs, mm-hmm. UFOs? Didn't they just acknowledge? Wasn't there a big reveal that yeah. all of that yes. was true? I want to know. Just happen. I want to know who in, the... in that group is controlled opposition. That's what I want to know. Okay, but <laughs> didn't it just happen? It did just mm-hmm. happen, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. David it Rush. In 2017. It's, it's yep. the golly, oh, okay. It's, it's the golly G. We acknowledge that they're mm-hmm. here, oh. but we don't know what they are. So they're still lying to us because we they we know they know what they are and that yeah. they okay, have so so I guess my qu- <laughs> I guess my question you know? is why now and why I'll I'll tell you this why one. put um, it out. It it happened. Uh, the head of ATIP, um, which was uh, the government's secret inv- uh, UAP investigation branch, in 2017, the head of that branch, his name was Luis Alizondo. He re- he um, quit his job and went to the New York Times with three videos. They are now famous videos: the uh, mm-hmm. Tic Tac, the Gimbal, and the Go Fast. Yeah, they know this, I'm sure, right? Um, and he, and they wrote a story in the New York Times about it. And um, to our astonishment, the DOD, the Department of Defense, who had been stonewalling us for 80 years, saying, "Oh, it's not real. It's swamp gas. It's a mass hysteria. Whatever." Totally swamp Suddenly, gas. they came out with. Uh, a, a statement right after Luis Elizondo released this information, and they said, uh, this phenomenon is real. Here are the full-length videos. We acknowledge that this is really happening, and it's a real phenomenon, but we don't know what it is. And it, we're all, so, our, our jaws just hit the okay, floor. Okay, so, so, <laughs> and, oh, so and also, Everybody's got a camera these days, too. I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so, why, because so, there's, so there's a plants? video camera on every hip, you know. Well, that's, that's what I'm so saying. Was, I wonder. I wonder who is controlled opposition. Go? 
Yeah, that's 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 my point. So is he allowed to go to the press with it? Hey, I think take this the to the upper press. echelon and... of the NSA are still uh, very viciously holding on to their secrets mm-hmm. as much as they can. Uh, but there's a lot of may pressure never know. to to come. Uh, there there have been there have been uh, people and higher ups in uh, in Russia and China that have been caught on hot mics that have you know over the years that have admitted that you'd be surprised. They say one so guy said you'd be surprised how many that are actually walking amongst us right now. That you would not know that they because mm-hmm. he looks because again they're us. Yeah. They yeah. Like holy us. holy crap, Steve! So human skin suits. Let let's go no, to this just, one. They're just mm-hmm. human. <laughs> just, no. Oh. But they but they have tele- telepathy and they are able to read minds. That they have an advantage over us. Yes, they do have an us advantage. Over regular us. mortals, you know. Well, I, I promise. Last question: Is there anybody in like the group that we everybody knows, like Luis Elizondo, David Grush, uh, Graves, Fravor? Do you know? Do you feel like any of them specifically are like controlled opposition? That what they're telling us is is what they're allowed, and maybe that it's meant to be antithetical to what is actually going on. No, I think they're uh, they're sincerely coming forward with what I, they're. I wonder saw. about I wonder about Paul Hellier, uh, mm-hmm. the Canadian. Sometimes, yeah, maybe them. Okay, because he's him. talking about a federation of planets, and we mm-hmm. know that this isn't true. Yeah, uh, this is, so this, this is leaked if, information. Yeah, we, you know? we call okay. it what we want to hear about isms. Yeah. We'd, all, we'd all love hmm. to, to think that Captain Picard was real, and we've been flying around since 2003, hitching rides on starships. You know, that's one of the re- recent, recent things that's, that's floating that's around. Out. Yeah, I, I went yeah. to one called Disclosure, you know, that supposedly four ships have been built. And then we're basically hitching rides on these intergalactic starships. We've been to 26 different uh, uh, solar systems so far. And supposedly two and of two, the ships are yeah. named after um, Majestic 12 generals from the 1940s. You know? Right. And two of the ships of are course. named after Majestic 12, which makes absolutely no that, sense. That right there was very suspicious. It should make you feel like, calm you know, about yeah. this. They're just t- telling us what we want to hear isms, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, and keeping us looking in the wrong place to keep on looking up, up instead of looking instead down. Instead of down, when they should be looking down. Well, it but definitely... we're hearing r- hundreds and hundreds of reports of of the UFOs are being launched from um, underneath lakes, uh, coming mm-hmm. up out of the ocean, coming up out of volcanoes, coming mm-hmm. up out of the sides of mountains, out of the mm-hmm. sides of ridges, out of the sides of mesas. Right. They're coming from underground bases. Um, we've we've heard this again and again and again, how mm-hmm. they, right. they either launch from a, uh, a mountain or back, go back into a mountain. Shasta, uh, the Native Americans uh, that live around Shasta, have the Modocs. Seen, they've seen holes opening up in the side of Mount Shasta and UFOs flying in and out of them and they've been seeing this for hundreds of years so we believe that they're if they're not coming from distant star systems they're here among us and they're pretending they used to pretend to be gods yes they Mm -hmm. used to fool us oh we're gods you have to do what we say and you have to become civilized and build these pyramids for us uh but then that we became too sophisticated for the God angle to work anymore. And now they're playing space, space alien. aliens. And, uh, <laughs> and, but it's all a, a ruse to get us looking away from where right. they really are hiding, which is under our feet rather so than you're up saying, in the sky. You're saying stop Sorry. looking up, start looking down within. Yeah. That's what you that that would be your guys's main thrust. Stop yeah. looking Actually, up, start in, looking on both within. levels too. Looking within yourself and also looking within the earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Okay. Okay. Right, Cause we are, they are us. And so just a little bit of looking within and we start to see the resemblances even more, you know, how they are telepathic, they're telepathic with us. Is it possible to be telepathic with something that you're a different species? We don't maybe. even know, we don't but know. Uh, we think that maybe not, but they're telepathic with us hmm. and they're breeding with us. And I think it's because they're cousins, close cousins that have separated from us. Plus the human mind, the human mind Hiawatha. works anyway, works in symbolic. That's why the first languages were cuneiform and like stick figures and things mm -hmm. like that. Because we think if we lay down our, through the axons and the dendrites, through our neurotransmitters, we lay down pictures. So we think in pictures and, and basically language is basically a representation of the pictures. Mm -hmm. So that's how the brain works. That's why they can communicate with us any language, because on the basal level, we're thinking in pictures. Yeah. Well, um, Chris, if you don't have anything else wrapping up wise, I'll uh, so so Leslie can work out her Charlie horse over yeah, there. Yeah, I got a leg. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're I'm good. Trying to not fidget. <laughs> um, but no, thank I'm you so guys. Sorry, take some Tylenol. <laughs> thank you guys for coming on uh, as again. Um, who they are and what they're up to. I'll hold it up a little clearer so you guys can see. Um, thank you so much for having us. Thank yeah, you. no, absolutely. It's been fun. You'll help Definitely. me, right? Yes, I love a good I'll go. We'll Photoshop. You guys we'll are Photoshop great. in there. Thank you. We <laughs> okay. appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Yes. All right. Well, you Thanks. guys have a good night, and um, looking forward to that next book that's coming out. So thank you. Yeah, and absolutely. Send us a link. I am. I am going to. We will. I am. I am going to read it, guys. I promise. Okay. After okay. this conversation, two hours tonight. The least I can do is read the book. I Maybe will we, read the book. Maybe you can have I us promise. back on when we have a, uh, the next book published. You never know. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll Guar guaranteed. Yes. Thanks. No okay. Doubt. Thanks. All right, guys. Okay. We'll, Good night. Okay. We'll wait. Right. Okay.